Ready, aim, release! We're back. Um, Carlo, it's been an, it's another Monday. It's been another week. Uh, in the UK, we've had the the Jubilee, so most people have had like a, an extended week um, weekend of like four days off. Uh, I think it was was it Memorial Day last week in the US? Um, so they had a day off as well. Um, maybe, maybe. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's all fun and games. All fun and games. Uh, for everybody, um, week. everybody loves it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, so it's also the end of May. Uh, it is officially June as of well. Technically, it was June last week, but it was May when we did the episode last week. So now it's June. So this is the first June episode, which means we've got the May stats, which we are going to look through in due course, um, just to see if there's anything interesting that we see. Um, maybe do you think? Do you think? Do you think Mother of Dragons? Do you think anyone would have taken up the Mother of Dragons challenge? No. Um. Maybe. Maybe. I. I, I saw. I saw NSB play play Mother of Dragons just earlier today. Obviously, was, won't be included included in those stats. But was that was that Mother of Dragons? Dragons? I think it was Queen of Marine. <laughs> was it? I. Uh, I oh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think it was a Queen uh, of Marine. I kind of just assumed it was MOD, but um, yeah, of course, there's no reason why it had to be. Right. Um, yeah, why would you when Queen of Marine is better? Um, I I think that her play rate is still almost non-existent. Actually, it's it's interesting. I mean, um, there's a possibility that not quite all the stats are there, but I find I always have a flick through them when they first go up, just to make sure everything looks mostly right. It's interesting to me how consistent things are month to month. There are some things that change in their play rate. Actually, what is wildly, crazily consistent is the play rate of stuff. The play rate of various factions almost never changes. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, that yet you can see a massive difference between what the play rate in twenty twenty one balance versus season season one balances. So, yeah. like, basically, the factions that got better, their play rates jumped up, and the factions that got worse, their their play rates that nose dived by like four five percent maybe. And then they're just consistent, like they're just flat over over the whole edition. So um, I think it, it, it's it's quite interesting mm-hmm. that people's perception about factions don't really change, and people's interest in factions are so obviously tied to the power level of the faction. And yet um, there's not there's not much change there. There's not much no. change in the, what what we see from. Well, we'll we'll have a look. Uh, we'll have a little look at that later on uh, in a bit more detail. See, like, see where factions all are and things like that. Um, see if it, you know, be interested to see if it marries up with uh, some of the tournaments we see. Certainly, the bigger tournaments, um, or if it says something a lot about uh, people playing them in tournaments versus perhaps more casual settings. You know, non non tournament style factions that we pick mm-hmm. up. Um, but yeah, um, cool. So um, I guess the first thing to talk about this week, though. Uh, the very first thing to talk about is a piece of news that uh, was shared with us last week um, from uh, from a TO in the US um, who had been emailing Simon Organized Play, uh, specifically Robert uh, Fulkerson, and um, uh, essentially from what 
has been passed down the grapevine is that Robert Fulkerson is no longer going to be the head of organized play. Um, the actual email that he'd said it as this message response was that uh, the organized play team had been let go. Of course, that doesn't really mean anything when the only person we knew who was responsible was Robert. Um, and actually, if you do check out any, uh, if anyone ever does this, if you check out any of Robert's public facing uh, profile pages um, on the likes of Facebook, where he is, you know, active on there and he does post and things on the main Facebook groups, it does say that he is a former employee of Simon, um, not a current. Um, so this is not news that's like fake. It is true. Mm -hmm. Whether or not he is being just replaced, uh, they've you know they've got rid of him and they're, they're they're putting someone else in place. Whether or not they are getting rid of the organized play team entirely and they're they're doing a new type of structure, nobody knows. Um, I think to uh, anybody who's in the yeah. chat, or I mean, Mickey, maybe you know. Yep. Out of all the other Simon games, if anybody's involved in them, has anybody ever had? ever heard the term organized play come up from a different game is effectively the question like mm -hmm. is will organized play exist outside of a song of ice and fire has anybody ever heard of it in terms of reference to zombie side or reference to like anything else um or was it entirely created for song um is roughly my question to anybody listening maybe maybe comment afterwards if you know and you're watching back later I'd be super interested. I'm because I'm not not close to the ground on other things that Simon are doing, other games that are going on, what other things Robert Wilson possibly did or didn't have involved, um, like involvement in. Um, so you know, anybody, let me know. Yeah, I mean, I do think, as far as I'm aware with Simon, I do think organized play was only for um, for Songwise and Fire. Um, they did it right. They did it for card games. So Arcadia Quest and Bloodboard, the card game. Yeah. Um, and, and do they use that term? Um, do they use that term, organized play? I've actually I've just found an article back here from Simon Feature Friday. This is back in 2017. Um, the joy of organized play. And they specifically, uh, big game events also provide an opportunity for organized play, in brackets, OP. Um, and they have an oh this was back in like this is sev uh, five years ago now but they're talking about having an organized play coordinator um who at the time was a heather sourheart um so clearly organized play has existed uh at simon for other games and for some time um Interesting. yeah so it's, yeah. it's difficult yeah. isn't it I mean, you should right like any like a game I am very much of the opinion that if you want a game to have any kind of community, it has to have organized play. Mm -hmm. That is, that is my, that's my opinion. That's one of the reasons why the site is the way the site is, because I believe that there needs to be a central hub for where organized play exists and Simon never made one. So I made one. <laughs> um you know like i think um i think that's a large part of what brings a community together and you must have a community if you want to um maintain like a a a 
store game as opposed to a Kickstarter game. If you want to maintain um, like an active player base, then that's all required, in my opinion. And some people do it really, really well, and some people do it not so well. Um, mm-hmm. I am... Um... I'm aware, certainly, I mean, um, the Simon website at the moment refers to Simon Play, um, and it does list on there the various different games that they're currently supporting on offers uh, that have currently got out, uh, lots of various different versions of Zombicide, um, a couple of other little things. Uh, I'm, I am very aware that that support mechanism has not been in place for A Song of Ice and Fire for some time from Simon, the Simon Play aspect on their main website. Um, that was where I believe you were able to obtain the old Game Night kits, uh, which, of mm-hmm. course, as we know, uh, Game Night 3 never came out um, with, what was it, Alternate Vargo, I think? Alt Vargo. Yeah. With a goat, goat helmet on. Yeah. Exactly the same model, as far as I know, with the goat helmet. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, you know, Song isn't listed on there. Um, the organized play... Um, on the Song of Ice and Fire website um, is still a log. You can still log in, sign up uh, with a store and things like that. So that hasn't been depreciated as of yet. Um, I guess we'll see in time if that gets mm-hmm. changed or removed. But certainly, I mean, it still has loads of uh, places registered on there as distributors and as stores. Um, so yeah. There's no reason to suggest it's just disappeared. Um, yeah, but it definitely casts yeah. some doubt over the future of things like like the World Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, casts doubt over obtaining the same kind of levels of support as was had by some tournaments in the past. You know, yep. not all, but some were very, um, very generously um, supported. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, big question question marks over what, what what it means going forward. Um, I don't think that we'll get any answers. We'll just have to wait and see and figure it out because I mean they haven't even made any kind of official announcement. I don't expect them ever to make an official announcement about it. So um, also, you know, they're kind of like they're 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 far more likely if they decided that they were canceling the World Championships as an example, right? Mm-hmm. To basically sweep it under the rug and say we never announced the world championships, you know, kind of thing. They they just hope it goes away quietly, rather than coming out with an announcement. By the way, we cancelled all our organised play and there isn't a world championships anymore in 2023. Uh, they're far more they're far more just like uh, let it go away kind of uh, response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do think. Uh... We'll, we'll see, right? We'll, we we will see, I guess, in time, um, if anything comes of OP, uh, the organised play scenario. Um, it does, however, like you say, is cast outs. It cast outs on a lot of things. Be it, you know, even the LGT, which we'll get onto in a short second. Um, it, a lot of people. I know that Mikel, um, what is being organised in Spain, has had some hiccups with that um, because he's been. Um, working with Robert and the team over there to try and get support for what's happening in Spain events there. 
um, obviously many people in the in Europe for the various different nationals that are happening all over the place, and U.S. stores, U.S. stores, uh, you know, responding to their um, the qualifiers for U.S. Nats. Um, mm-hmm. On that topic, uh, there was uh, actually today rumors from uh, it's on the Sunday Slaughter Discord from one of the American um, players and uh, tos that organized play dot the uh, like the organized play email is um not responding now whether or not that is the case that might just be because no one's picking it up um mm-hmm. it's notorious that you just have to wait for answers from that so that's that's you know yeah i would different. say i would say the previous response time wasn't exactly um indicative wasn't exactly quick so no. no uh no huge change that you haven't had a response in a couple of weeks from there really mm-hmm. um i think uh it's interesting actually um even at all that um mikhail and spain were working with robert Fulkerson because you know like at least previously the 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 response and kind of indications were that he worked out of NA and that there were other people who did organize play out of Europe and that there was a equivalent of him in Europe. So maybe, you know, that kind of gives weight to this concept of an organized play team. But mm-hmm. I could never really have told you who that person was supposed to be. Um, and I wonder if that position went away much longer, longer ago. And that was something that like got rolled up into what Robert previously did. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, um, what, uh, what, what are we going to do? But wait and see, wait and see. Um, if somebody gets a response, if somebody gets a response from organized play, let us know if somebody gets a response from somebody new and they give themselves the title of organized play coordinator, then let us know. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we will try and be in contact through our role uh, in the uh, London Grand Tournament, um, we haven't really received any actual direct indication through that ourselves, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware. You know, I don't handle the communication, but uh, I don't believe that we've been told that anything has changed. Um, so we uh, we were a little uncertain about mm-hmm. what's going on. Well, the only other the only other thing um, that has come up. As a result of this, I do believe that the TO that has been talking, uh, one of the TOs anyway, that's been aware of this, um, that you can email the, um, for, for this is this is only really true for the US players out there, the US TOs, um, that it is possible to uh, email the marketing department with the results of their regionals um, in order to you know, get that nationals thing sorted. Um, I believe so. There, there is a there is a communication channel open which you probably will be directed to. Um, whether or not that's actively directed to off the back of emails you send to organised play, or if it's um, kind of like someone will pick it up and then send you a message being like, oh, by the way, you need to email these guys. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but there does seem to be a alternative for the US national route and qualifiers. Um, obviously, if anything well, happens mean, with that, we'll find Gen- out. Gen Con and US Nationals is what, like, um, six weeks away? Eight weeks away? Yes, maybe uh, eight weeks away. Maybe, maybe, seven, yeah. seven, eight weeks away. So, I mean, we really won't wait that long to find out if 
somebody new is in charge or it's a total disaster, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like they, they've taken it on themselves that they are running nationals this year. Um, so either somebody new or like some kind of new coordinator or like at least somebody will respond to those emails, take up, take up the position and kind of like say what's happening. Mm-hmm. Or we can sort of ascertain that they are like that organized play is really, really in a bad situation because if they're going to let their own biggest event that they've ever run and that they've put this work into over the last six months, just drop at the drop of a hat like that, then that's, you know, says that they're really not going to be interested in helping other events down the line. Are they like, you know, this surely is the thing that they've been working towards. And so if they don't pick it up themselves then that's going to be, um, quite damning yeah. uh so we'll find out in 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 a matter of single one hand's worth of weeks whether or not somebody starts making announcements about it yep i uh, i do think west coast uh, his comment in chat there is uh fantastic in that they've replaced robot uh, robot with robots and they've also announced a cyberpunk board game coming soon uh coincidence we think not uh, <laughs> um so yeah it's uh I mean, it is possible. Uh, there is also the possibility, you know, and I do think we should stress this. Um, organized play, I'm not going to sit here and point fingers and blame people. Organized play has been difficult uh, as of late over the last, I'd say, three to four months. I think Robert's been trying to do a good job um, more recently. Last year, it was a lot more difficult. Certainly in the run up to LGT last year, we, there was a lot of issues um, and it did feel like a lack of communication. Um but this year does seem to have improved somewhat um and a lot of people have been getting support and yes it's been patching yes there's been some people getting lots some people not getting much um but at least it's been something um maybe it is a say say it is a chance that robert unfortunately uh you know maybe they want to do something better with it um make it a bigger focus and so as a result robert unfortunately just had to be the wayside or they're restructuring they're you know they're they're refiguring out how they want to run it and that might take some time and part of that might have been the world championship lead up and they think actually we need a better structure for this um and melkor points out the other piece of news which you know ultimately we weren't going to talk about because there isn't any news which is there's no facebook chats either so at this point the only real public facing member that anybody in the community had uh, public uh, communication with was Robert regarding organized play and with him disappearing we no longer have Michael we no longer have Chanel um, and Fabio doing these Facebook chats so the only link that was had is no longer there um, yeah. a hundred and I want to say 120 days maybe more since the last Facebook it's um, it, it's nervous news. Like it, it like it makes it makes me a bit nervous. You know, I'm not, I'm not. It's not um, not it's not an issue yet, and it could it could end up being something better. But uh, it makes me nervous about the future of the competitive side of the game. And um, you know, agree or disagree, unlike people, plenty of people do disagree. I believe that the game cannot continue and cannot thrive without its competitive community. Right, like I just believe that it is the 
the driving force that keeps the game alive, keeps the game active, keeps the game moving forward. It takes it takes the few people who are obsessed with the game, who who will do anything for the game, who will travel, who will put on events, who will support, who who create channels, who talk about the game. It takes those people to keep the community feeling like the game is alive. And uh, if not, then it's no different to a board game, basically. Like, as in, um, that is, in my mind, the difference between, like, a tabletop game, a, a war game, a skirmish game, whatever you want to call them, versus a board game, which is some board games, the wildly, wildly popular ones, they do have, you know, like... Mm-hmm. American national championships, they have they have competitive scenes, but in reality, like people just pull out a board game and play a board game and then put it back on the shelf. Um whereas really what defines a tabletop game is its community, your ability to just turn up in another place and play the game with other people that you've never met before. Um and 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 that is and that is always gonna be reliant on there being a competitive community, really in my mind. Uh, to answer Ian's question, uh, when was the last update live chat in January? It was indeed January, January 27th, um, as per UK time. So I'm pretty sure it's the 27th in the US as well. Um, uh, it was at 2 p.m. EST in the US uh, on the 27th. Um, yeah, which is yeah, the days are mostly the same everywhere in the world, Mickey. Uh, well, no, uh, not quite, right? Because January, if it's January in the UK is January in the US, yes. Not January the twenty seventh, because January the twenty seventh, you know, uh, is not the same in Australia, for example, right? Uh, it's just nice to give people reference points. Uh, but no, it's a hundred a hundred and thirty days ago as of right now, uh, and this episode going live. Um, Charles says competitive monopoly is the future. Uh, that was a really random comment that sparked a memory. I was sometimes I put a random video on to listen to when I jump in the shower, um, as one does sometimes, right? And uh, the random video I put on yesterday, two days ago, was uh, teaching an AI how to play Monopoly, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was, I've, seen, I've seen that video. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really, really interesting actually about the, yeah. the different ways of strategies that come up um, and. Uh, the weird, the weird strategy that it got itself into, where it felt that it should um, buy the Browns. It, no, 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 uh, not not just buy the Browns. It yeah. bought every possible property, and yes. then it uh, and then it mortgaged them. Yeah, or whatever, mortgage. whatever it is. Yeah, it mortgaged every property it had because for whatever reason it decided it was a good strategy, and then it ended up in an infinite loop of all the properties on the board were mortgaged, and none of the AIs ever took money <laughs> off each other. Which um, further reinforced its own idea that all players won because they all did win or they all lost, whatever. Um, I tell you no, what was funny. Like, it's interesting that you say that because you know, like yeah. um, I, I I go on YouTube deep dive sometimes, and um, and you know somebody somebody's channel that I ended up watching for a little while was a guy who uh, plays incredibly competitive Catan, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is and this is uh, you know it's much it's a much more stable um you know strategic game right so like it's it's the high end of strategy of a board game but there is a very interesting concept to that which is that it's a three and four player game um and so you have a lot of 
um, strategy which is totally irrespective of the board game. It's a lot of table strategy around like positioning so that you're not the obvious person to be picked on by the other players. I mean, it is in essence a trading game, um, and that you could play such a trading game competitively is very interesting. But that just speaks to the fact that Catan is considered to be one of the most successful board games that ever existed, right? And so, therefore, it can create a competitive community because it is so widely spread, it's so widely played that you can take the tip of the iceberg and there's enough players there to play competitively and to take it very, very seriously. There will be people who take everything to extremes. Everybody, every community will have people who take it further than others. whether or not board games naturally tend towards like having the ability to become competitive games is very uh, very much up for, up for debate um, about whether or not it transitions well. Even when you look at 40k, Warhammer, it is wildly successful and therefore allows for a very competitive game, or at least a very competitive community. This yep. is despite the fact that for many, 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 many years, Games Workshop said, this isn't a competitive game and we don't really endorse competitive play and we do not um and we will not like help you run competitive events we will help you run narrative events we will promote the game from a like beer and pretzels perspective from a fun fun perspective from a narrative perspective but we do not endorse the competitive community in a direct manner and the and yet the game was so wildly successful that a very competitive community was able to spring up. It became the ITC, International Tournament Circuit, all these things. They created their own, you know, their own tournament rule sets, their own official, they created their own scenarios, which are separate. They practically had their own rule book, they had their own balance, they had their own everything, right? Yeah. Um, and eventually I do believe that 40K and now eventually very long, long process almost effectively recognize ITC these days. They possibly even work with them, I believe, at last. you know. Um, yeah. But that's such a long road, and that's only been allowed to be possible with the way that Games Workshop kind of went very anti-competitive play mm-hmm. because the game was so wildly successful. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're saying, uh, the moment something becomes popular and successful, a competitive system will develop um and this is just human there's nothing to do any more than human nature right is that we like to see how good people are um some people some people don't some people don't mind but competitiveness is just a human trait that we all have be it in bucket loads or in just small answers um but yeah it's uh it's something that will develop over time and uh the strength of that community is down to the strength of the players and it's you know uh, how far it how well it does and how popular it becomes is down to the people who are pushing it and the people who are trying to make it succeed um yeah yeah. um yeah (laughs) itc was announced by gw as the people officially running their competitive events yeah i know that um GW. Well, I mean, I think that's a whole movement to like yeah. that GW even even like are running a competitive event, right? Like by, by proxy through ITC. But as far as they were always concerned, ITC ran them and they had nothing to do with them. Well, like not not, not that they like they just didn't endorse it. They don't say 
this is the U.S. nationals, right? Like, it's similar to, you know, this idea that whether or not Simon are running U.S. nationals and they endorse this person as the national champion. Yeah. Or, you know, like, the equivalent is more that I am running the uh, LGT Invitational, right? Like, there's no endorsement there. Simon won't turn around and say, yes, this person is, like, European champion or Invitational champion or whatever. Only, only the community can give that um, endorsement to that player. Now GW have finally said, yes, ITC are running tournaments on our behalf, and we endorse it as having like XYZ importance on top of whatever importance you already gave it to. Yeah. The, um, the funny thing is, of course, with now chapter approved and stuff, without going into 40k, um, basically 40k dictate what the competitive scene is like a little bit with their regular updates with chapter approved and stuff like this they decide what is in and what is out of the competitive scene um basically um and they do that in response to the events that are held and and what they want to see on the table and things so um yeah you know uh anyway um it's uh yes like i say um organized play it feels like it, it, it's such an integral part of an alive, thriving tabletop community. If yep. you are, if you are successful, you have a competitive part of your community. And the bigger it is, the more your game will grow. In my opinion, you know, like the wider your appeal will be, the more the more people you will reach. If only because the competitive community represents the the peak of 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 the base of the community you know like whether or not your competitive community is 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 the majority of everybody who plays or just the very top peak but if you grow that competitive community you're almost definitely growing the base as well because it takes takes a lot of people for there to be one person who's obsessive <laughs> yeah um definitely definitely is the case yeah we've seen that in, in communities all around uh, all around the world really but ultimately um certainly the uk france have seen it very much so spain has seen it to some extent the us i think is starting to see it now where you add a strategy system organized play system some way of getting to some kind of like event um and you see players come out of the woodwork and you know the uk has seen that a lot we've seen you know we'll get onto it later on but we saw like some big events happen in places where events have never happened before with players that have never attended them uh, because the game is still growing because the player base is actually there it's just pulling it together um mm -hmm. uh, on that note uh, that is kind of the news um really is the only thing the other piece of news which uh, i was going to share with everybody here which uh, again doesn't really affect probably most people here but if you are in the us or if you're carlo you might want to know that Las Vegas Open tickets are now on sale. Um, if you're really looking to go to the Las Vegas Open next year, 2023, um, tickets are available now. You can register. As far as I am aware, at this time, there will be an event for A Song of Ice and Fire. That may change. It may not go ahead. But as far as I'm aware, there is going to be one. Um so yeah, if anyone does want to go, tickets are available now. You can go get them. There you go. Um, on the same note, yeah, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I really don't think I can make it to LVO. 
<laughs> I, I I'm, I'm already traveling to the U.S. twice this year, so <laughs> I, uh, I I uh, I really would like to. I have been thinking about it. Like honestly, it was already on my radar. as like, God, could I possibly like manage to go to LVO, three, you know, and therefore the U.S. three times in twelve months? But I think it'll have to wait till twenty twenty four at that point. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, maybe Carl will convince me. Um, the uh, the next piece of news, which uh, again is actually a relatively short piece of news um, for anybody in Europe, uh, the UK in particular, but you know any of our European friends as well, um, we are going to get uh, an update on ticket sales tomorrow for the LGT. But essentially, we are aware that all all tickets are likely to have been sold. Uh, we don't get ticket updates um, literally as they're sold. We get them weekly. Um, so if you haven't got a ticket for the LGT and you're like really wanting to go, go on the link now. See if you can still buy a ticket. You, they will sell tickets over the limit. Um, we've told them to do so because it gives us a bit of a backlog um, in terms of waiting list. Not all 128 players will ever turn up for any event ever. Um, you know, you'll always get... Uh, do we work on like a 10% dropout rate usually? Um, is what we typically look at. Anyway, gives you an idea. Who knows? Who knows? That's the fun. That's the fun of it. Um, um, yeah, absolutely, go buy a ticket. Like this is yeah. like literally your last chance to buy a ticket. If you don't buy one now, then the only way you're gonna get one is if you like message us, join a waiting list, see if somebody drops out, see if somebody wants to transfer their ticket. Um, because at that point, you know, we we are expecting. Uh, some people need to not turn up, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise we actually have too many people. Um, <laughs> it won't so, be many. Uh, it won't be many, will it? Will there be only, no, only a couple? No. Um, um, but yes, uh, go and buy your ticket like now if you want it. Um, there's, if you're unsure, you know, like, and you've really left it to this point, and you're still unsure, there is the flexi ticket which you can get back. You know, we'd rather you just didn't um you know i mean we were rather you just able were able to commit but not everybody can if you really want to buy your flexi ticket tonight and you will be able to recoup nearly all of your money back with a small um uh, 10 pounds is, is it 10 pounds yeah i think, I think it's 10 um so you can get the yeah, same majority and that looks all the way up to one week before the event uh, i believe um Paul, 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 Paul Tellen saying that it's not just us overselling, but I'm pretty sure uh, he uh, he oversold for his own event too. So uh, <laughs> uh, don't, don't, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, Paul. <laughs> um, it is it is true to say it is true to say that site overselling. You know, it's not massive. It's not like we've got a 128 player event and we're, so we're selling 150 yeah. tickets. That's nowhere yeah. near it. It's more like yeah. there's 128. And is it like 135 or 130? It's something like... You really, really want to be as close as possible to that 128. We will yeah. help people move on tickets if they need to. Um, we just we, we felt that with, uh, particularly with the flexi ticket, that people can return right up until uh, like one month before, or possibly even two weeks before um, <laughs> the event goes live. You know, the, the, we really wanted to be able to get as many people there, and we were pretty confident that, uh, you know, we won't overspill over the 128, but we want to be as close as possible to that. We absolutely, you know, we're, we're very confident we'll get over 100 on the day, at least. <laughs> I want to be. 
um, well, and um, yeah. and you know like that that gap is really really important. We want we want to try and uh, a complete one one twenty eight bracket would be an amazing uh, feat, and uh, where we want to be as close as possible to. Mm. It also gives us a, an element of protection against uh, the European travellers who you know them attending is not necessarily like less common or anything like that but the simple fact of the matter is if you're traveling further and you're getting planes you're getting you know sea transport whatever like that certainly in the uk at the moment if you've been trying to get flights anywhere over the uh the week holiday there's been lots of cancellations and things mm -hmm. not suggesting any of that will happen but the truth of the matter is is if the further you have to travel and the more modes of transport you have to use the more chance something goes wrong um yeah and if anything gets delayed or someone can't make it, gets cancelled or anything like that, there's a chance that people can't get a replacement in time or they can't afford it or whatever it might be. So as a result, you know, um, just to be, make people aware. Generally so, speaking, it's the people who have to travel the furthest or, oddly enough, the people who travel least far yes. who are the two people who don't turn up. <laughs> people who have to travel the furthest like things come up and it becomes like literally impossible for them to make it there. And then it seems to be that the people who are the closest, like literally they'll be like half an hour away and they don't have to book anything. They don't have to stay there. All they have to do is turn up on the day. They'll get to like the day before and they'll be like, ah, I can't be bothered. Yeah. And you're just like, hey. <laughs> people are traveling around the world to be here and you can't be bothered to drive down the end of the road. And you're just like, mind blown sometimes but uh i'm sure i'm sure there's plenty of things just down the road from me that other people like would 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 go miles to go and see and i just can't be bothered to i can't be bothered to go and have a look at i mean that is quite literally true <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah um anyway uh so yeah uh lvo tickets uh so ice and fire uh london grand, london grand tournament tickets all available uh lgt obviously selling out as of tomorrow is when they're going to close i think they close tomorrow so yes that's it there after tomorrow you cannot buy lgt tickets through the website you will have to wait for a second hand one or something like that um, oh that's true yeah yeah i mean that is almost news uh carl says that uh uk games expo was at the weekend and yes. and there was and there was and there was a banner by on tabletop uh who it turns out used to be called beast of war we were all like the hell are these people? They had a, a Song of Ice and Fire banner saying, hey, we do videos and tutorials and these things for this game. And everybody was like, the fuck is that? Because I've never heard of them. Uh, but it uh, turns out it's Beast of War. And I don't know. Like, I mean, They must have done some videos at some point, but I guess they've been pretty cold on it for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, it was certainly interesting. Um, yeah, I uh, it, the the weird thing for me, and I think Carlo as well, is that Beasts of War, for those of you that are in the UK, is a name that, to be honest, was I would almost argue was almost a household name in the UK in the gaming scene. Um, a lot of people had heard of Beasts of War. They'd done a few things. Um, but yeah, it they haven't been heard from, and quite literally, uh, as as I was talking to someone the other day, I said I have no idea who these guys are, and someone said, "Oh, that's Beasts of War." They rebranded, and I was like, "I didn't know Beasts of War had rebranded." <laughs> so it says a lot. Um, 
Yeah. Speaking of, I mean, like. Anyway. Yeah, no, just just a random thought. Um, does 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 Miniac still videos? But like, I'm just thinking about people who like big household names who came <clears throat> and made a bit of a bit of a splash at a time in the song community, mm-hmm. and then like, did he? Does he still? Does he still post song stuff? Does he still? Is he still interested in the game, or did he yeah. give up on that? Yeah, I do. I do believe he does. I don't know if he posts videos as much, um, but he is still interested. He's actually um, uh, very much, very bizarrely, uh, one of the um, patrons that we have um, in uh, stats now. He's actually from the same community as Miniac, um, as in like in the same place in the US. Uh, knows him. I wouldn't say extremely well, but certainly knows him uh, in person, and. Um, I'm led to believe that uh, the Miniac has been very busy. He's got like five or even eight projects on the go at the moment, but he does mm. t- still turn up to events and he does still play. Um, he's yeah. just very busy. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, with someone like Miniac, of course, as much as I would love him to just do song and just constantly do song, he is also... No, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, obviously for him, like, yeah. his, content is, his content is his income, is yeah. his business, is his... And so, you know, such a... A smaller community, like you know, he he's done he's probably done a lot for the game just by just by publishing at all and saying that he plays it. But you know, like he can't he can't make his content be popular if people aren't interested in song in a in a wide enough capacity, really. So mm-hmm. yeah, I do know. Um, I do follow the guy myself. I'm actually I think I'm a, can't remember if I paid for Patreon or if I'm a Twitch subscriber. Can't remember. But um, but I know that he's moving office at the moment. Um, okay. so uh. I don't know if he's how far along that he is. Um, yeah, I mean, I it, it's the same with like you know Duncan Rhodes. Um, in that you know, like it's really great that he puts up tutorials for song minis that he gives them like light of day that shows people how great the mini is, paints it, shows it off, um, gives it gives it time in the spotlight. Uh, but forty k is always going to be where the large majority of his fan base and his and his subscribers and his paying you know like where his business money and when it is his full time work you know he has he has to go towards that and that's where the large part of his money is going to come from yeah so. um yeah cool um so anyway there's our uh, oh fun 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 there's our um kind of like news for the week there's not really uh, a huge amount of other stuff that we'll uh, we'll cover today in terms of news, uh, aside from tournament stuff, of course, which we'll get to in due course. Um, but we are going to look at some stats as well, and uh, and there's one last piece of news I guess we'll talk about, which is Carlo. Carlo's news. This is where Carlo looks really surprised, and he's like, yeah. "What news?" Uh, I never I never know what I'm supposed to be talking about at this point. No, he he doesn't. It's great. I love, I love springing this on him. Um, Am I getting married? What? Am I getting married? Is that no, you, I, I am. There you go. I, I am, but uh, you're not. Uh, you've, you already are. Why are you getting married again, weirdo? Right, anyway. <laughs> um, married to his computer. Polygamist all the way. Right. Uh, he, uh, he's he been playing a lot more online. <laughs> That's I have. The news. I have ventured into the online sphere. Again. I've gone online, gone online to get my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> um... 
And more importantly, it's not just uh, going online to get his ass kicked. It's the thing that we talked about last week that ended up being a massive discussion in multiple different areas, constantly talking about this. I don't want to talk about it anymore, so I'm not going to say anything on this topic. I'm just going to sit here and nod. But Carlo, clocks for A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I have, um, interestingly, yeah, I mean, I feel like I have, well, in all things, I, I always believe, like, practice what you preach, right? Like, and so I'm very interested in the moment in, in clocks. I haven't actually specifically, um, I haven't actually specifically been, like, leading the conversation um, of, of, of chess clocks, as it were. You know, I, I've noticed a lot of people have been talking about it, you know, off of the back of, possibly off the back of me saying, like, I'm playing a game with a clock, right? Um, whereas, as always, in all these things, I believe I'm right. I don't really need other people's opinions on. Uh, so, like, there's a lot. Of, what I mean by that is, is I think there's there's a there's a million different opinions on if you are going to use a clock, how should you use a clock? Whereas, as far as I'm concerned, I've played a game under a clock, I think five times now, um, and I'm pretty comfortable um, with the way it plays myself. Um, so. And I think that people make it way, way more complicated than it needs to be, uh, which is personally, I think that the clock doesn't need to swap backwards and forwards very regularly. There is a pretty natural flow to when it does. When a person, um, when a person asks you to wait because they want to make a decision during your turn, then yeah, sure, give it over. You know I mean, like I play a card, I'm playing Lannisters. They, they're like, oh, I might counterplot it or whatever. They, they say like, oh, wait. I'm like, okay, cool. Take as long as you want. But until they say wait, it's always going to be mine. I don't need to say, do you want to play anything and change the clock? When I make an attack, I don't need to click the click it over to them and say, roll your dice. It's on your time. Like it really all just like comes out in the wash. I think people will actually, if they play with them, they'll find that they're way simpler than you think that they are if you treat them as simply as possible. Mm-hmm. Um. I tell you what's interesting. I've played five games under a chess clock. I've won zero of those games. <laughs> <laughs> like actually zero. I have, to, I have to say as well, right? If you look and if you look at my profile, you can see the five games. They're all in a row. And and interestingly, like I came to play the sixth game, and like I asked my opponent, "Do you want to use a clock?" And they were like, no, I'd rather not, um, you know. Uh, and honestly, part of me was like, thank fuck, like, Jesus Christ, I might win a game. <laughs> but, like, I, I just, I took it as a, I take it as a challenge. Uh, I think, personally, I think that it's really improving me as a player um, playing on the clock. Never once have I actually gotten close to timing out, uh, but it's forcing me to make decisions more, quickly it's forcing me to um i always take time after games to address address things that i did wrong and think about them you know i'm quite an obsessive mindset in that way and it generates a lot of situations where i've made a mistake Mm -hmm. and generates lots of situations where i can think that was wrong because xyz and particularly i've played practically the same list every time as well uh, the list does have a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot of things going on there, which is like I'm not 100% convinced by the list. The list is quite complicated. I'm learning the list and the faction at the same time. All these things, 
but it's really i would say accelerated the rate at which i've learned the list right like first game i was like oh shit i missed xyz i missed this 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 and this and then next game i'm like don't miss them now because i'm like obsessive with the fact that i it probably cost me the game that i missed one two three and i think that it i've, I've enjoyed every game like i i've i've lost every game and I've enjoyed every game and they've generated situations where I'm like, I made a mistake there and I can be better. I think that it's upping my own gameplay. Um, and, um, you know, like I've enjoyed them while losing more than a number of games that I've played on TTS where I won mm -hmm. because I've won and sat there and been objectively just bored. Like, I'm just like, God, will you please just take your turn? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's not everybody. Um, I just find that like the pace at which the general populace play on TTS, um, and 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 it's and it's fair, you know what I mean? Like people, some people say as well, you know, I've discussed it with some people. Like, it is possible that some people are like, oh wow, this is my time. Like, I get to play Carlo. I'm gonna really make sure every move is as good as possible. But for me, like it's just another game. I just I just want to play. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, why does every game that I play have to take four hours? Because my opponent's like, don't want to fuck up against Carlo. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> well, uh, cool. Well, you don't get to play me again because this this is this has been this has been way too slow. Um, I will say the most interesting thing. So having having watched you play. Um, the most interesting thing with the games is that typically you're using more time as well. You are mm -hmm. actually using more time than your opponent. Um, yeah. And there was a, a specific game, and I know it's not indicative, but the first one I think you played against Jacob, um, he he even said straight after the game that he felt really pressured into making decisions and he felt rushed. And yet I, when I was watching it, I, I wasn't watching it feeling that there was like critical error mistakes he was making. It felt like he was making decisions and just sticking with it and going with the plan and then just seeing what happened with it. And yeah, it might not have always been the best decision, but they weren't terrible, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, I mean, there was a game where I think you finished it in 45 minutes. Um, yeah. Or something. It was like yeah. less what, what, so, so, so this is the interesting thing, which is we, I, I've been playing with a clock, one hour each person. To me, this simulates what, I have been considering implementing for a one hour, 45 minute tournament round, right? Um, this means that each of us having one hour means that we will pretty much have to be able to complete the game within the one hour, 45. Otherwise, at worst, worst case scenario, one, one person played for one hour and the other person played for 45 minutes. I genuinely believe that in the worst cases, that is a big improvement over what some tournament games are being played under. Or more to the point, they're probably going for two hours right now. I think we see anything from like one hour 15 versus 45 through to like one hour 20 versus 40. Um, and, and so I think that um, that is a big step forward. I think that for me personally, as soon as you play under the clock, it really accelerated the start of the game. 
things that you really don't believe are like incredibly important decisions, um, terrain placement, right? I found that we got set up as soon as we put the clock on, we get set up and get into the game three to four times as quickly as when it's not on. But like, that's all just wasted time. There's people just not really like, you know, getting going. They're not really making any different decisions. They're not that pressured into like really rushing it. Mm -hmm. They're still making the same choice. They just take four times as long to do it and make the same choice when they're not on a clock. Um, it accelerates the early rounds to the point where, yes, if you're unexperienced, you can feel rushed. You don't think through everything. But like, do we really have to think for ages about what our first NCU to activate is? Um, no. Let's be fair. Um, these games have been resolving themselves within about an hour, mm -hmm. an hour and 15. And I think that is incredibly fast for TTS. Um, you know, I, I I really would normally expect a TTS game to take me two, two to three hours. Two, two and a half, I was going to say, is like the, the yeah. standard. Um, yeah. So. And, and these games are resolved within the hour with both players having the majority of their clock left effectively, you know, like maybe maybe 35 minutes used to 40 minutes used or something like that or less. Um, and, uh, and I lose <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, but like I say, like I'm, I'm very pro it. Um, I know that some people are scared of it. Um, and, and, and I understand that, right? Like it can make people nervous. It can put people under a lot of pressure. Um, but I just think that it improves gameplay a lot. I've had the opinion that the game needs to be faster for years, like literal years. The reason why me and Mickey effectively stopped streaming almost as soon as we started streaming was because we both came to the conclusion, you know, we, you know, we were one of the first, some of the first people who Twitch streamed. PTS games during the first NRG tournament. And mm -hmm. right back then we had this conversation that like this is unviewable. Like we we cannot, even two people, we cannot maintain an active stream. We cannot have insightful, useful things to say for the three and a half hours that these games are going on for. TTS has improved a bit in its playability since then. Not, not wildly so, you know, like practically it was all there back then. There are a few things that improve speed now. Um, uh, but but the players are, if anything, playing even slower because everybody's learned from each other what things like can be done in terms of checking distances, what can be, how far you can go forward. Some of the, some of the uh, really useful um, kind of like additions to TTS and, I, and I, you know, I couldn't imagine taking them away, but the ability to recall location and that it is start saved at the start of every turn, right? Is actually supposed to be a time saver, but it has been one of the biggest time banes on the game in its entirety because now people believe that they can test everything that they want and then just recall the locations back to where they were. Now, I'm not saying that I don't do that, right? But the reason that I believe the clock should be there is because one person can't pay quick, quick quickly for both people, mm -hmm. and more importantly, if either player is playing slowly, then their opponent is in a massive disadvantage if they don't also slow down and play the same way. 
mm-hmm. if they don't also take as much crazy level of methodical care in their positioning, crazy levels of thinking through everything and what could possibly happen, then they are just making themselves at a disadvantage for this game. And I think that that's not a good situation to be in. You need to create an incentive structure which says playing quickly is worthwhile. And that worthwhile thing is that to answer Hope's question, when you get to one hour and you have played for one hour, you will no longer be able to take any more actions. When it comes to your turn, you will activate and pass, and that is it. It will go back to your opponent instantly. Literally, the only thing you do in the entire game is roll defensive dice, basically, and morale tests. Roll defensive dice, if you still can control an objective, then you will score points for it. Um, that's it. There's a bit, there, is a, there is a weird question there, is can you pass when in melee? Um, I would say yes. You yeah, know, like it was yeah, a rule that like, was added and has not added anything to the game. I don't think. So. Yes, yes, it, that has created that weird situation that you're effectively breaking the rules when you activate and pass. But yes, as far as I'm concerned, sure, come to it. This a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion is being had, and and it, and it is right that like the discussion has to hold up to certain, you know, like. Um, stress testing, shall we call it, or criticisms. It has to it has to be able to manage these things. Um, but people are effectively saying it won't work because, and then giving an incredibly extreme situation. It won't work because what I'm going to do is I'm going to decide that if the game times out, I'm going to win. And so I have 15, 20 minutes left on my clock, so I'm going to sit here for 20 minutes and say, it's still my go, you can't do anything. Um, now, Yes, you can say that that is possible, but the point is, is that is possible in the rules anyway. Yeah, like you can that, already that, do that. Exactly, exactly. So the question is, is are we then really giving like incentive or like social social acceptance to a person doing that? I think not. You know, like if a person did that in front of me, I would ask the TO to come over. I would expect the TO to say, take your go or resign, you know, like. And yeah. so if we're going to sit in a gray area where a person's allowed to take a minute longer to make a decision, then these are things that we can't police anyway. You know, like the, I, I think that people are basically, they're picking holes in the chess clock, which are holes that exist in the game not the chess clock hasn't added them it just highlights that these things currently don't have rules associated with them um but uh yeah i mean i've only played the clock in tts so far uh, i intend to play it in person i think that it will play way better in person mm-hmm. because games are faster anyway um i i i do still get frustrated with tts a bit you know what i mean i'm not like you know, I I um I I do development, and yet I still find some things on TTS. Like I'm a tech idiot. Like I'm like, why won't my ruler measure? Why won't this thing move? Oh like, yeah, why no. won't this... your, like... your your ruler not working is definitely a your end problem, and I have no idea why. Right? Yeah, you do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, yeah, it's know, really annoying. But, but, like, but there are also things like on TTS, you know, like people click in the wrong place, ping, six models turn up, you know, things like that, right? Like all these little things that TTS has. And it's interesting, they are like 
TTS problems effectively in my eyes, not not bartenders mods problem. No. As in like <laughs> if TTS, the actual tabletop simulator, was better designed, then these things wouldn't exist. But like, hey, bartender can't get around that part. No. But anyway, there are certain things in, in real life games that just play better. The way you play cards, the way you uh, interact with your opponent, even on voice and stuff like that, there's still limitations to uh, the speed at which you can play and indicate, you know what I mean, that you want to do something or not do something. Um, plus, the tactile feel of the clock will be better than whatever clock uh, I imported into TTS. So I think that I will play it some more, and then, you know, I'll maybe I'll tell the community how I feel about it, but I'm of the opinion that it improves the game. Um, and that I think it would be for the positive of the community to play with one. Mm-hmm. Um, I will mostly play with one when, uh, whenever I feel that like it's appropriate or that my opponent is kind of up for it. If, if my opponent doesn't want to, this isn't a deal breaker for me. I mean, like I'll play without one, but I am instantly nervous on TTS. If somebody's like, I don't want to play with the test clock, I'm like, okay, can we not play for three hours though? Because I, you know, I don't want to play for three hours, please. I like, I've asked for looking for game, and uh, I expect to be done in an hour and a half. Um, you know, so I'm instantly like, mm, okay, but please don't take the piss. <laughs> uh... Hobbs there finally need to manage to flip my NC on its head when passing IRL games. That is, I mean, I'm not even going to lie. That happened to me in one particular game, and um, Carlo will remember a Night's Watch Mirror game I played um, where I'm not going to say my opponent was slow. I mean, I was probably as equivalently slow at the time, but it was, I think it went for four hours or something stupid like that. And there's were some moves where there would be a five minute gap of almost straight silence. And then it would be, I activate my NCU and pass. And it'll be like, why the fuck did I just wait five minutes for that? <laughs> like, like, I've said it before on Tourney Ground, I have literally sat and played a game of a song as I from fire while completing a jigsaw on the table next to me. <laughs> like that's not yeah. a good thing. Um and... I, I know I know I know things have gone bad when I'm I'm like spending most of the time here's the monitor right in front of me. It's got TTS. I'm spending most of my time looking at Discord on this monitor, reading a discussion that's happening about something else. Yeah. Um that's when I know like this game isn't isn't progressing at a pace that I'm happy with. The, and um, I think that that's bad because it creates a feedback mechanism of like then when the go when my my opponent finally has their go, I'm like oh right yeah um, where am I uh, what's yeah. going on and then like I don't play quickly either because I'm like right uh, I've got even what was happening what cards do I have you know whereas if we both play at like a, a very active pace shall we call it um, an aggressive pace even um, then we're both just being forced into constantly thinking and when you believe that you're on the clock you're utilizing your opponent's clock as well as thinking time when your opponent's having a go i know that i'm i'm measuring things and stuff like that because like that's measurement time that i don't want to take during my own turn mm-hmm. um and so and so i'm just way more active in the game um 
Well, I think uh, going back to the whole learning thing, you know what I mean? Like, it was quite interesting going back to the last couple of games that I've played have not been on the clock. Um, it was interesting to then be like, all these things that I got wrong during the clock, I'm really going to make sure that I hit them right these times. Uh, I actually still got a rule very significantly wrong against WAP, <laughs> uh, which was uh, unfortunate, but... Um, it's the kind of yeah, like I say, it's it, it it it's a list with a lot of moving parts, and it's now a mistake that I won't make again. Uh, yeah, I I believe that clocks should be implemented. I'd be way more up for a TTS tournament if clocks were involved. Uh, I think that it gets around so many of the issues around like, um, you know, like whether or not you think that it does or doesn't happen, but any kind of coaching or collaboration from your opponent like that becomes now like a real like time sink getting somebody else's opinion on the game and like trying to act out somebody else's idea is going to take you forever and that was one of the believed parts to some of the most historically incredibly slow games that happened during the tsl uh was like team collusion on what should happen um and uh and so it gets around that idea it gets around ideas of people just not being as actively interested it gets around all sorts of stuff but it does definitely add, particularly for those new to clocks, particularly those newer to the game, particularly those even new to a faction, like I've myself found that, you know, I mean, it can be hard. It, it puts you under a more extreme situation when you're not super familiar with your faction and your units and your abilities. Um, it does add pressure. I don't think that it's like the community, every game in the community should be played under a clock. I mean, every single, I, I believe practically every major test chess tournament is played under a clock. It is, yeah. Pretty much, you know, yeah. like that there are some, you know, these days effectively like chess is played under a clock. When a new person plays casually, of course, the first thing they don't do is pull out a clock and say, right, what time are we playing for? You know, like, and, and, and chess is and can be played without a clock and is a great game without a clock. But there is this acceptance and this realization that at a tournament level, you must play under a clock because if not, why wouldn't a person take an hour to choose to make a decision? Well, I mean, chess as well, because it's so formulaic in that, like, there's not really a surprise. I mean, there are surprise moves you don't expect, but they, you can't just, like... In a, in a similar way to Song of Ice and Fire, there are uh, a finite number of possibilities. Um, in a Song of Ice and Fire, there are practically infinite, because where a unit moves can be a quarter of an inch difference. But actually, like in in the game, it's either achieving this position of a like maybe it's like eighteen different potential options of states that, that could be in be it showing you flank front rear side showing you um you know charge blocking not charge blocking um in range of another unit out of range you know all of these various different conditions can be checked but ultimately the vast majority of moves you're only really checking like three or four conditions which means yeah. that yes okay there's an infinite number of possibilities practicably with that unit but actually there's probably only about 10 positions or 10 variants on the position that i actually care about that much um and of those probably three of them four of them are the only likely ones because other ones are like really fucking dumb where it's like oh i'll just turn around and like 
show my rear to you. Your turn. <laughs> Obviously, that's a pointless move. Um, so as a result, like, you know, chess and song has a, a somewhat formulaic approach to it in the calculations that you do. Um, the randomness in song with attacks and stuff makes calculations different. But in terms of what people choose to do, there's a limited number. Um, and in chess, similar kind of thing. And, you know, Carlos, right? You can take a chess game and go away and essentially the longer you think about it, the better result you'll get. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, if you if you are to play, and there are chess events that do happen um, over over non-time periods, uh, they less common now, they do still exist. Um, they used to exist uh, basically done by Telegram, basically. Um, but essentially, what it ends up being is it's not two players playing the game. It's just like Stockfish versus Leela or something like that. Um, because people are just using chess engines at that point. That's not a problem. Those games have a, a place, you know, Alpha Zero. These all have various different places to explore the world of chess and these crazy lines that happen. But it's not like Carlo versus Mickey. You know, it's yeah. it's not. Um, so yeah. The um, on the back of that though, as well, I was going to say um, with the length of games. I know Marwin said it in chat. You know, us casting games for three and a half hours, finding it hard to talk about different things. Yes, we can talk about loads of different stuff here on uh, on Tony Ground, but the difference is is that this content, you know, as Carlo may have said previously as well, this content sometimes lacks a bit of direction. But if you're casting a game, you might have five minute interludes where you're talking about something else. You can't make the vast majority of a three and a half to four hour piece of content every five minutes is talking about a different topic that isn't the game. Because actually yeah. you also you also get to the position which is where me and Carlo truly struggled. Because you don't know what's got, going on in the game anymore. Well, yeah, you, you don't know what's going on in the game, hence the overlay, which I have updated now, I've updated all the overlays if I have to use them again. But actually more than that we will talk about a particular line of play or a particular thing that people should do. Then they make a, what me and Carlo would call quite a clear error. And it's like, we've now got 30 minutes of looking at this error. And we're sat here being like, how do we not just sit here and say that's shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's only so much we can sit here and go, well, now he needs to do this, which yeah. is us basically saying you fucked it. You know, um, yeah, yeah, it can be. It feels quite hard to not be incredibly judgmental of other people's play, and yet we're doing it without complete without complete information. We don't know what's in the hand. We don't know what's going on. You know, we don't know what what kind of things that they're playing for. So I find, yeah, I found uh, I found it really not uh, not easy. I big props to those who do do it successfully. You know, uh, I know Loki's spent time. You know, really trying to trying to do it. He does well to discuss other things and uh, not get too bogged down in it. Um, Fred, Fred, you know, Fred gave one of the classic arguments against the clocks, mm -hmm. which is just you have to do things in your opponent's turn. Like I say, I, I personally, I think that this comes back to this idea that I think people overstate it. What happens in your opponent's turn is minimal. When it's not minimal, it's very clear that it's not minimal, and it becomes your clock. The only thing which repeatedly happens in your opponent's turn is the rolling of dice. 
And if that is taking significant amounts of time, then that's a problem anyway. If it's taking you that long that you need to flip the clock during a person rolling some defense saves, then we're at the point where, you know, you're having time issues anyway. Like, again, we're just creating, it's not the clock creating an issue. It is the clock has highlighted that an issue already exists. The thing, the thing is, like we're talking about, like the social grace period or whatever. Uh, people saying you know, should add a grace period to chess clocks, change them every trigger or whatever. The thing is, if I was playing against Carlo, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this. And then if he doesn't say anything, but he just says wait, sure, I'll turn the time over when he says wait. Because if he wants to think about that decision point, he wants to spend a minute or two into making that decision, because he believes that's important. I've got no problem with that. You know, he can use his time on my turn because I've swapped it over. But ultimately, that's down to the decision making. And that's what that time is for. The vast majority of that time is very rarely execution time. Uh, me and Carlo talked about this um, when we had the original discussion. Most turns, if you actually think of execution, it's probably only 15 to 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds of actual stuff that you're doing, active things, you moving things on the board, playing a card and rolling some dice. It probably only takes you 30 to seconds to a, a minute to have complex turns. The truth of the matter is, is that the majority of the other time is thinking time, you know, and people aren't instantaneous with the way they don't just go, right, I'm going to move this here and do this. They'll go, right, I'm going to move this and then I'll move up five inches. They're not being as quick as they can be because they know they've got time. And that's not a problem. That's not wasting time. But in terms of the actual physical side of like how much time did you use doing that move versus how much time was necessary, there is a difference. Um, mm. But yeah, it's not a problem at all. Um, and if it is a problem, like I know that, for example, like somebody, um, if you do like a sentinel off the back of an attack, you just go, oh, right, well, you're doing a charge now. Do you want to just put the time on yours? You know, you're doing a minute. No, I mean, like, to me, to me if, if a person starts to make a move, then it's their go. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. It's yeah. on their time. Yeah. You play, and and now his watch is ended, and you're taking an action inside of my go, then, then I'm flipping the time, right? Like, yeah, if exactly. you're going to move a model, then I'm going to do it. If you're going to make a full attack, then I'm going to flip it. You're doing Fury for the Fallen, a charge, like nested actions within the other person's turn, absolutely flip over. Um, even nested responses of like, I activate NCU, and then you're like, mm. I'm like, okay, think as long as you want. And then if anything, that like actively makes you make a decision, right? Um, as soon as you know that you're on your own time and that you're not just saying, hmm, can I think about this, please? um then 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 you're just gonna progress the game better i um i'm not you know like i've been i've thought about this for a long time in that i do think that it's much more of a bane in tts than i think it is in real life play um though i don't think it's absent from real life play um and i think that it would be positive for the community to try it out and get on board and you know uh, and give it a go. Like I, I, th I think don't shit on it until you've tried it, and you have to try it with an open mind. Um, if you're an incredibly slow player and your opponent is too, then sure, start at 1 hour 15, start at 1 hour, hour and a half, 
and just understand how the clock makes you feel about the game and think about the game and and find out how long it takes you to play. You don't even have to. Here's here's the real here's the real thing. You don't do clock people at an hour and then say right you've lost or right you can't take any more actions. Um, I think if you have any at all issues with speed of gameplay, then you should be playing under a clock with possibly no ramifications off the back of it. At the very least, you then acknowledge the fact that you are playing at a X pace, which if it turns out is two to three times slower than your opponent, then I would just say that's not right. That's not fair. You are not a good player. And end of discussion, right? Like if you have won the game and you took three times as long to play the game as your opponent, then it's entirely questionable whether or not you are better than your opponent. I, I... Unless, your oppo- unless your opponent is just like literally throwing models around, in which case, well, you know, like you can't you can't do anything about the fact that they played unreasonably quickly. But uh, I, like... I, don't, I don't think. The only thing I like about it, and the, the suggestion you make, Carlo, especially when we talk about tournament rounds and things, is that it doesn't actually necessarily incentivize the games resolving, although we should want games to resolve. I think everyone wants games to resolve. But ultimately, if both players are playing at roughly the same speed, then the game will either resolve or it won't resolve. It doesn't change the results of a normal event if both players happen to be slow. It's actually the, the case is when both players are not equal in their time usage and i think that's the thing like if both players happen to be slow players then you know who cares if they don't finish round three by the end of an hour and three quarters if they both if they both are happy with the speed at which they played the game and neither of them comes away and say you played slow or i played too slow or whatever then what's the problem yes they might acknowledge i need to get faster me and Ilo, Carlo can probably attest to that ourselves. We probably play games too slowly sometimes. We can say we need to get faster. But if our opponent is happy that they had around 50%, maybe 60-40 at the worst case of the game, then who does it matter? You know? Um, but uh, but yeah, obviously we won't. I think, I think the issue is, is that you're, if currently, if you're slow, there is zero incentive to be faster. There, there is no incentive. You will play worse as you play faster. I've found that the fact, like when I'm playing under a clock and I'm playing faster, I am worse straight up. I've lost five games in a row. Um, and so there is no incentive for me to speed up. If anything, the incentive is for me to play slower. And that's not a good situation for us to be in. No. Anyway. On from chess clocks, so that's uh, that's where they'll be used, and maybe it's how they'll be tested um, while we get attacked by yet another bot. There, you'll be glad to know, guys, that the uh, the bots today. Uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed, right? This is not the same bot. This is actually multiple different bots attacking us today, uh, leaving us some lovely uh, lovely uh, nice messages in the chat. Um, we have actually got moderation sorted now, so it is fine. They all disappear eventually. Um, but uh, unfortunately, you have to put up with it. But I'm very impressed. This is now, I think, the eighth different one that's uh, visited us today. Um, anyway, on with the uh, the next kind of feature. 
And it is still about Carlo, but it's not really news. Um, I mean, the show's about me, so why wouldn't it? The show is about you, Carlo. Or is it your product? Your spawn? The website? <laughs> um, you've been playing a lot of Greyjoys, Carlo. Um, I picked up Dagmar yesterday and played a nine activation Dagmar, similar to what you've been running yourself. Um, I'm not expecting any massive insights, but last week I gave some very detailed insights on Starks. It ended up being uh, just very quickly give us some insights into what you find with Greyjoys. They're hard. <laughs> Could have told you that one, mate. That's not hard. <laughs> look, look, they're bad. <laughs> that means they're hard, right? That's how it works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, th there's a reason why, why they're one of the last factions that I've come around to. It doesn't, it doesn't fit my playstyle. Um, I'm not an aggressive player, and I feel like the the Greyjoys. There are there are some people who are playing them differently, and I am watching the way they play, but I'm not. You know, some people are playing them as like a very healing, sustained faction. I just don't see it myself. Uh, I'm I'm struggling with their deck a fair bit. I find that every card has a place, very similar to the Lannister deck, in that every card has a place, but I'm holding the cards at the wrong time, thinking, "Oh, that has a nice use," whereas I don't have its current exact use uh, right now, and then I end up getting to like the third, fourth round, and I realized that I've barely seen any of my deck because I just haven't gone through it. Um, I possibly turned a corner or possibly just got a bit lucky in my last couple of games. You know, I've been playing on TTS against some pretty high-quality opponents um, who have pushed the flaws in the, in the gameplays that I've been playing. Um, I've been trying to get very comfortable with the faction. Uh, still, I, d I don't know whether or not I'm willing to take it to Gen Con or not. I, I'm that uncertain about it. There's never been another faction that like I've started playing and I've instantly been like, I can't play this at the next tournament. You know, like admittedly, I've never. Uh, Gen Con's the first one where I like really care about where I come because there won't be just like the next event to try it at. So, uh, but you know, I think I think I am possibly turning a corner, possibly getting a bit better with them, possibly it's starting to play out a bit differently. I think I've changed my mindset about the way the list plays and playing it a bit more methodical, a bit more the way I play bit more um reactionary a bit slower and um finding that i'm like really playing for the the fourth turn the fifth turn of the game whereas before i was rushing the game i felt like i, I had to make a play right at the start and i think that personally for me the way i think about the game in general i think that the mindset you have coming into any given matchup and 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 why I think the list building is so, so important is that if you come into the matchup with a very specific mindset of like, this is what I want to do in this, in this pairing against your list, this is what I want to exploit and this is what I want to avoid, then uh, you will play way, way, way better than if you like just let the game plan unfold upon you because that's just letting your opponent do whatever they want. 
Um, problem was, was that I felt that I didn't really know what I wanted to do into so many different lists. I just had this idea that I had this singular plan, which revolved around Vic Reavers, just like killing stuff. And so like the first time that I felt like there was a sniff of an opportunity that Vic Reavers could kill stuff, I'd be like, gotta go for it. This is the time. And then it wouldn't quite pan out. And I'd be like, shit, I have no plan B. And I didn't really think through whether or not the thing I'm killing is the right thing. It was just, I went to kill the first thing that you offered me first thing that you put in my face and if you're a good player the first thing that you offered me is not the thing that i want to kill um i would say surprisingly i had more success against some of the strongest things i felt that i was personally doing pretty well into free folk you know like i had a plan i knew i knew i knew the matchup well i had a plan into that even even into Night's Watch, you know, I didn't like it as much, but I sort of had a plan of what would happen. I was very happy with the Drogo-Targaryen kind of matchups. Um, and then suddenly what I realized was that I had this game plan for all these lists that I knew. And then things like Lannister, Red Cloaks, and Starks were suddenly like, I just, like, I was just like, I have not thought through this matchup. Like, I do not know how I'm supposed to win against this. Um, I don't even know which list to pick. And so I'm just going to like default to the one that I'm sort of like more comfortable with. And it was quite an interesting uh, revelation that again, I think it comes back to this idea that like, I think for a lot of people, that's a lot of the way they play the game. You know, like they're, they're just, every time they come into a matchup, a faction, they're like, well, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Whereas the thing in the past that I've always been best at is like, I can plan most of the game out before it even before it even lands on the table just when i look at the lists in theory but i was coming at the game from such a different approach that uh, i was finding greater as a real struggle do you um, think um i was just interject but do you think that um somewhat uh that is warped or the play and the list building and that's the way you think about the game um I think this has got element of truth to this regardless, but uh, it's warped around your kind of like standard opponent. And with you playing a lot on uh, physically, you mm. you know what the meta stuff is and you obviously prepare for meta. So we're talking Night's Watch, Targ, to some extent Baratheon, uh, and obviously Free Folk. Um, you're playing, you know, physically against a lot of, you know, you play against my Free Folk a lot. You play against Dan Starks somewhat, but, you know, um, slightly less so, and he typically doesn't favour the kind of Stark lists we're seeing um, more commonly now. Um, and, you know, you don't play against Lannisters. You don't play against Greyjoys at all. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you're, you're coming back from, like, a Targ perspective. You've just come off the back of playing Targ a lot, so you're probably still thinking about them kind of subconsciously. You are, you know, your second faction arguably is Baratheon. So you're still thinking about them a little bit. Um, yeah. Do you think it is ultimately the meta, if you want to call it that, and your usual opponents, your meta, is shifting mm -hmm. the way that you think about the game? As a result, you're actually struggling when you're seeing things that aren't exactly what you expect. Yeah, I, I, there's definite truth to that. Um, you know, I think that one of the reasons why I'm struggling with Greyjoys more than anything else is that Greyjoys have, 
I've almost never interacted with Greyjoys. I've almost never played against Greyjoys. It's not just that I'm new to the faction playing it. I'm new to the faction as an opponent, right? Like, I've watched Miguel play Greyjoys before, but, like, effectively, I've played against Greyjoys before I started playing in them. I've played against Greyjoys in a tournament once, ever. Like, I met them once in Scotland, right? Like, and I played against them. And honestly, I was just a bit like, Let's see what happens. Like, I'm pretty sure that if I just, like, attack stuff, then it will die. <laughs> I'll wrap and... Drogo at them. Just go. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I was, playing, I was playing Drogo. I was just like, I just slam Drogo down his throat, and it will probably play out fine. Right? High-level strategy. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, but honestly, like, I had no idea what was going on. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking, God, this is going to counter me. X, Y, Z is going to counter me. Um, you know, like, I definitely didn't give, like, probably didn't give enough respect to, like, the importance of we do not sew and whether or not bags is claimed and all these kind of things, right? So I, I feel like I'm coming at this faction from a much lower level than I've come at a lot of other factions. I came Lannisters, my faction from the start, going out. Night's Watch had tons of experience playing against and with very easy transition into them. I also just think that they're a very simple faction to play, very straightforward. You can't go that wrong. Um, Baratheons, I mean, they're just, once upon a time, they were poor man's Lannisters, and now they're just Lannisters in a different color. Uh, Lannisters that have real panic damage these days, um, you know, so that, that, that bit was uh, not hard at all. Hogs are so widely played and I'd like seen so much targs that again, it was a bit of a change in pace for me. It was not the style that I'm used to. I was going to force myself into a very aggressive play style, which I still never been that comfortable with, mm-hmm. but I kind of, I, I, I found my way with the faction and, um, and, and that bit kind of came together eventually. I feel I understand the faction way better now. And Greyjoys, though, as much as I'm interested in them, one of the reasons that I am interested in them is that I don't think that there is an established Greyjoy meta. Interestingly, coming back to your point about meta, you know, like I do think that like the number of things that you should expect to see at any given time is wider than it ever has been, right? Like the number of things that you have to be ready to face, the number of things that you need to be expecting are so wide, right from like six activation Baratheons with champion stag through to Baratheons with panic damage through to Lannister red cloaks are still alive and well, it turns out um, through to Starks playing a nine activation spam through to Starks playing like more elites, Tully Cavaliers, like every faction can at least throw like a couple of looks at you and six of them are viable. Yep. Maybe seven of them are viable, and and I and I and I do think that um, Greyjoys are a struggle for me particularly. But my mindset with them is starting to change, and I always believe that mindset coming into the game is one of the most important things. Yep. Um, I've learned from each of my losses, and I have a new perspective on the matchup. There are some things that I'm quite scared of still. I still wouldn't want to play the matchup again, and that may make me change my list slightly. New list looks. If if there's ever a 
matchup out there that you are just desperately hoping that you never face it in a tournament, then either you're rolling the dice or your lists are wrong. That is just my opinion of yep. the way people build lists and should be building lists. If you're like, oh, well, if this comes up, then I'm just going to lose. It's like... Then why, why running that change, combo of lists? Change, yeah. change your list then, yeah. Like, yeah. Th there is no thing outside of neutrals, which maybe we'll come to. <laughs> uh, there's no thing outside of neutrals where you should just write off entire factions as bad matchups that you can't win. There's always a plan. Possibly the problem has been, though, that I have been planning too much for the things that I consider the top end, or maybe just the things that I see the most. As you discussed, there's more my local, like, meta for the mm -hmm. word of, like, what I meet, um, be it tournaments, be it casual gameplay. I've planned too much for them and lent too far into that and too far away from general purpose lists, just generally powerful cards and combos and units. Mm -hmm. um, because there is a difference between a lot of the skews that you see and just generally good stuff. Like they're not at the the overlap isn't necessarily that large. Yeah, I um I just curious question, right, Tarlo? Because uh, you probably see it on the screen, but uh, a lot of people might be maybe not surprised if they're used to seeing the site and things like that. Uh, a mainstay of lists, as we know. Anyone who's seen Greyjoy's played, uh, Vic Reavers, uh, one of the most popular combos in the game, pretty much. Um, uh, Reavers for Greyjoy are the worst unit. The worst unit by stats. Um, and Yeah, I mean, I, I think that seven morale, seven morale is just such, so harsh in this game. Yeah. Seven morale is just... It coming in, coming into that mindset about a matchup, there are so many matchups where as soon as your opponent sees a seven morale unit, and I don't care that it only cost you five points, they see a seven morale unit and they think, munch, 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 that unit is going to die. All I have to do is throw some panic tests its way. Against Lannisters, it becomes an absolute healing factory from, uh, from High Spyro against Melisandre, it just becomes a two-shot potential absolute kill against all sorts of stuff. It becomes not your strength, but it becomes your weakness. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I, I am using Reavers. They're not, they're not, they're not spammable, I don't no. believe. I, I, nobody's, People people postulated this idea of like a five or six Reaver spam list that they were this good and, and like no that never came to fruition that is not strong um, similar to um, possibly because they play a lot of Dagmare so he obviously has coordination tactics but similar to um, similar to Free Folk I do believe that Greyjoys are something of a toolbox in that they are at their best when you are bringing lots of different abilities to the table um, and being able to offer lots of different threats but that's much much more complex than having one unit that you know really well and just putting it in every situation you have to get that unit into the right situation because for every strength that it has it has a weakness and if your weakness is going to be your low defense low morale then you better be the one hitting first um, 
if your strength is your absolute survivability of the best known unit of um, of silenced men, particularly put uh, Blind Baron on them, stick Baylor in them, that unit is nigh unkillable. If you can't get it up front and center doing enough damage, then that's worthless because mm -hmm. your opponent's just going to tie them up, move away from them, and focus down everything else. Baylor doesn't really support the rest of his list very well. Um, and so, you know, like you, you, you have to learn how to use each of these individual pieces to their best. And um, I, there's a lot of complicated moving pieces. Um, and so hopefully I'll get to uh, get to understand them all and um, get some good results soon. I have to admit, um, MCXL in chat uh, saying that, you know, backing up with a lots of moving pieces, um, you know, they are worse than Free Folk. They have a much, uh, the deck, while I don't think the deck is bad, it's not great. Um, it doesn't have nice triggers that you want to use. Well, the funny thing with the Grujo deck when I've played it is that it, if you get the right combo of cards come up, you can have these very swingy self-buff effects. Not enemy damage, which is more common with other decks, but you get these very strange moments where it's like, yeah, I was on one rank and now I'm full health and I've, like, I'm fine. <laughs> um, but yeah. Like, you're not doing more damage with that necessarily, and it's about how do you translate that into damage or effective board control. Um, mm -hmm. And he's, he's, I think he's very right in saying that the way you build... I mean, certainly with Dagmar, I think less with other commanders, um, but Greyjoy's for me, if you're running Dagmar, it felt... Literally played this yesterday. Felt like I was running a, uh, a free folk list, and I was picking units and attachments in the way that I think and the way I play free folk. With just a slightly lower curve. Um, I don't think I'll say straight up say this, which people do not have nearly enough respect for. House or Reapers, who are bad, right? They're not a good oh, unit. No, 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 they are bad. They're a bad unit, right? People shouldn't just park that thing because it's not good. Because having access you you all but yeah. lost that game against what until you hail married yeah. a one rank kill on flayed men no, no, so, no that's not it that's not and you lost because that unit is dog shit and then you won because that unit got the most fucking god roll you've ever you can't assign no, value to the I'm most a... random fucking thing that no no, 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 no. You were assuming... not telling me how tall our Reapers are good. No. I watched that game. They were god shit. God awful. I will not uh, say that that game is the reason they're dog shit because that's not the game they're designed for, right? I got lucky. <laughs> that's simple as that. Um, the point is, though, is that they offered me a tool that I didn't like in that particular matchup, the matchup that you had played as well. Um, and... The big thing for me was that it offered me a tool which I think worked in other matchups that I felt comfortable would have helped in other matchups, just not in that yeah. particular game. Um, it, 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 is, it, is bacon, it is possible but... that I'm just overlooking them, you know, like. Uh... But but my point is is and this comes back to this comes back to a lot of things, right? Um, and this is just like looking at the way we look at games, right? Um, War mammoths are like one of the worst things that free folk can run. And yet, I think, you know, people win events with Warmaths. Warmaths have a place. 
I do think that they're not as bad as it would suggest as long as you're building with the right thing in mind. Um, you could say it's a lot of true, a lot of units in the game. I mean, less so with Night's Watch. Ranger Hunters are clearly the only thing that works. But Conscripts I mean, are... The thing, the thing that Jacob's been doing recently with mountains, Kevin's Mountains Men has, yeah. you know, I... But... But it works. In my mind, it works because your opponent is expecting them to be shit and doesn't give them enough respect. And then when it turns out that they do, the game is well enough balanced that this unit costs this much, roughly speaking, yep. costs this much because it has some some abilities that make it worth that much. The thing is, is that those abilities are some of the most easily avoided abilities in the game. Yep. But if you look at the unit and just go, that thing's shit and ignore those abilities entirely and walk into them, then you will fall foul of that unit and be like, oh, shit, that thing actually can do these things. And both of those cases are a person allowing, an opponent allowing their opponent to gain the most of their of their pretty questionably good unit. Like, very questionable whether or not that unit ever gets its value back if your opponent doesn't like just allow you to and this is very true of so many units that like casual more casual gameplay they're like why don't people respect this unit it's really really good and you're like those abilities are very easy to work around if you understand their limitations and they're costed a bit high because when they do work they're very powerful but when they're but when they're avoided that's not really going to affect your opponent's game plan at all and it just becomes a bad unit um but you know I, champions of the stag i think are a classic example of that in my opinion in that i think for eight points champions of the stag aren't bad but the vast majority of players will look at champions of the stag and say oh, i want a unit of them they'll be great on the board and things like that I am genuinely of the opinion that when we're talking at this point, very high level play or very competitive play, I'm I feel fine if my opponent's got champions of stag on the board. Like I genuinely feel good. Um, I think it's an eight point investment that's so abusable with the mechanics of the game. Um, I'm not suggesting that there's better options, but I do believe it's abusable, and yet it's one of the highest rated Brathian units out there. We talk about skew lists, right? Um, we talk about stuff that does well competitively versus not. Um, we see Melisandre and, you know, again, coming up as one of the best things in the game for Baratheons. And yet, I'm not that bothered when my opponent has Mel, really. I, I accept okay. the casino nature. Yeah, generally but... speaking, you play, I mean, I know not exclusively, but you generally speaking, you play a 5-plus morale rally point army that has that has 4-point infantry. Right, like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, but like, not you a know. good matchup for Mel, and that's not a good matchup for Champions of the Stag. Mm -hmm. Personally, I believe that both of those units have great value, like, and that they've been buffed to the point where, mostly with Champions of the Stag, they also have these abilities where if you allow them to be, they are just going to ruin your entire game. Yes. But even when being worked around, I still think that Champions of the Stag are a pretty, pretty good efficiency unit this, these days. Maybe. I think that I think I think that they're I, I think now with their most current buffs, their most current position, that they are just a good value eight point unit with the way particularly with the way that the Baradek works now. 
And also with Melisandre, I think that Melisandre is actually just a great value five-point NCU. Like, I, I don't yes. think... I think that people are building into Melisandre, Jacken, Roos, this, that, blah, 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 blah. And too yes, you've gone, you've gone too far down the path. Yeah. Because Melisandre by herself is just a good value five-point NCU, especially when paired with Stannis mm-hmm. for Stalwart, when paired with Queensmen for, uh, you know, have an incredibly reliable unit to use it on, or, or maybe with Relor Faithful or something yep. like that, so that you can generate tokens. Yeah. Even the fact that she's just a five-point NCU that just gave out Vicious and the Relor keyword is actually not that bad, and then throw in the tests as and when you want to on top, and I think that she can really affect the game and be very positive. I don't think that this, personally, I don't think that this is the stats misrepresenting something that people are just like letting win because they don't know how to play into it. I think that Mal's just a very good NCU, and personally, I think that Champions of Stag are just a very good unit these days. I would personally be pretty torn between them or Flayed Men in my barras. That's fair enough. And everybody knows that Flayed Men be considered still a very good eight-point u- eight unit choice. Yeah. So coming in at number 12 in the unit choice lists, Champions Tag arguably best unit in the game uh, by, rank- by ranking points. Um, I don't see it. I, I personally don't believe they are. It might be the, might be the factions that I play. Uh, might be the way I think about the game. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't view them as as powerful as this would suggest. Um, but yeah, it's it's always interesting, right? It's the stats. I disagree with the stats. That doesn't mean the stats are wrong. It most likely means that I'm wrong. Um, but it's you know game perception. Um, because there are other units on there that we look at and go, yeah, I can I can make sense of that. Example there, giants being bad for free folk, you know, that makes sense. Veterans of the Watch being bad for Night's Watch. Yeah, I can see why that might be the case. Because there are just simply better seven point options out there. Um But it's interesting, you know. Um It is just interesting, maybe. Yeah. There's other ones on there that I do agree with massively. Conscripts not doing pulling their weight either. Suffering. You want, you I'll let you know if you take uh, Greyjoys out, but yeah. they still remain an enigma to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're definitely uh, they're interesting. What I do think is interesting with Greyjoys might just be me. I'm very tempted to try very different not, I won't say builds, but very just very different things in Greyjoy. And it might just because I'm less experienced or whatever with them. But for me, I'm finding that list building is actually interesting with them. Um, And that might just be because they're not shackled to a list archetype. Or I don't believe that they're shackled to a list archetype. uh, Which is actually part of the thing. You know, people say that building lists with free folk is fun. I don't think it is because I feel shackled to an archetype now rather than building lists, because I can. Um. So I do believe, generally speaking, whenever a person feels, whenever a competitive player feels like they're not shackled 
to a particular competitive build, they're just the, the, the faction's just not very competitive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like because a truly competitive build doesn't exist, and you can dance around with ideas that hopefully catch people off guard. Hopefully, people haven't seen it before. Hopefully, yep. somebody will fall into a trap and make a mistake because they haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that when it all comes out in the wash, as it were, they're just not that reliably powerful. Completely um, agree. And that the same meta-defining lists come up again and again and continue to win tournaments, despite the fact that they are well-known, despite the fact that people know all the tricks that they have, because they're just good, right? Like, no, yeah, yeah. Once a list is known and widely known and people have practiced against it, and yet it still wins, that's because it's actually genuinely powerful. And, um, and if you're playing off meta, then... Part of your value is that you are unknown, lesser, lesser played against, can catch people off guard. But once that's gone, then chances are there isn't loads left for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I would say that's true. Um, certainly the more you play a faction, certainly the more competitive it becomes, the more constrained you believe the builds get because you're arguing over one or two points of difference um, and understanding what those one or two points of difference actually are in the list rather than when you're less constrained, you know, oh, I just change this entire like 10 point section of the, the list out and it doesn't really matter that much. Um, yeah, I do agree there completely. Um, the May stats are out. Uh, I just thought I'd load up the Reavers and Reapers because the conversation was around that. And you can look at that fantastic win rate, 42% for Reavers, 26% for, for Reapers. So don't run Reapers, they're bad. Um, pick rate, 103%. Now, people are going to be like, oh, it can't be 103%. can be because it's about how many lists they appear in. And if they're appearing in, on average, more than one per list, it will be over 100%. That's... That's how that works. <laughs> Individual units, they vary a little bit more, but yeah. as I was saying earlier on, I think that's very interesting that like that range of use mm-hmm. only really spreads from 90 to 110, right? There's yeah. either 0.9 or 1.1 Reva units in a list. Now, mm-hmm. if you look uh, specifically back at, um, sorry, just back at the Reavers yep. earlier in 2021, like that's a noticeable decline from the fact that they used to be 1.3 per list. The difference between the highest they've ever been in season season one versus what their average was in 2021 is bigger than the difference that we see between any two months. Now, most commanders, they're sitting more like, you know, popular commanders are sitting at like 15% usage within their faction, roughly speaking, mm-hmm. right? Like not the super, super, super popular ones. Honestly, they'll only vary, like, some months it's 14%, some months it's 16%. The pick rate of these things is incredibly consistent, and yet there are enough people submitting that this isn't individual personal preferences. This is just, like, the usage by the community is very, very consistent. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I find it very, very interesting. It effectively means that, like, there is a lot of consensus around what people like to use, whether it, whether they believe that they're building competitively or not um and uh 
and, and, and it is well known what people think are bad units when you see that Reavers, they only appear in, you know, like one in four units. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interestingly, to see Mant's uh, win rate did actually relatively skyrocket um, in May. Well, his pick rate suddenly suffered, uh, suffered a drop. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe May. That that that's a very significant change for May. There, what we saw was 40, 43, 44, yeah. 41, and then suddenly it's down to thirty. Be that, be that because of all our rhetoric that it's too <laughs> Mance is overpicked and he defines the faction, or whether or not it's because you know diff, diff, differing events, differing metas, differing whatever's being run. Mm-hmm. I mean, be like, there is a possibility that not all the results are being represented there. I need to look into something. Uh, one of the Patreons did have a look and like manually check up some results and then say that they weren't quite uh, being all represented. There are a lot of results that discounted for various reasons, but uh, I will go in and have a look and see, manually count them up uh, myself and see if something's getting lost. Um, there was... It yeah. is interesting that there seemed to be a large decline in the number of submissions from March to April and then May. A little, little uptake again in May. Uh, it's possible that some of the results are just being lost for some reason in those stats. Either that or, you know, like people... Again, whether we consider stats to be the whole community or just like a tip of the iceberg of the community or whether or not usage of stats is, is as closely related as to playing of the game, my first indications were that people are not submitting and therefore not playing as much in the last couple of months as they were in the first couple of months of the uh, of the season season one updates, and um, I think that that is normal. I, I think that new changes, new um, additions to the game create a lot of interest and excitement and play. And that comes back to the whole idea that I believe that like continual active management of the game is required. Mm-hmm. The um, the actual interesting thing is, like, having just looked at all the faction stats there, anyone uh, watching live, you'll have noticed that there has been an uptick in the number of submissions for basically every faction. Uh, two factions, actually, which is the most interesting. Two factions that have not seen an uptick at all. Um are Starks, who have been almost solidly the same. I mean, we see a two-game variance, which two games is neither here nor there. 20 games is something where we can say there's a slight change. Two games is quite literally like nothing. Um, That could be a game that's played on Sunday before the end of the month. Could have been played on Monday, right? Um, But, you know, and Neutrals is the other one that has dropped, which is very funny. Because one of the things we were going to talk about, you know, is is Steve playing neutrals more. We saw Tom Tyler picking up neutrals, playing them in events and stuff, which the vast majority of happened in May. And yet the number of submissions is actually going down when payers are picking them up. Um, that is in itself is very interesting because um, it means that more people are leaving them. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, the uh, the other factions, though, on the most part, have seen an uptick, which is good. Baratheons with basically no change, which is the most interesting. Probably shows you that uh, <laughs> all them people who play Baratheons are still just playing Baratheons. Um, 
Yeah, they're consistently one of the most popular factions. I mean, that yeah. like 20, 18%, like one in five games of Baratheons. There are eight faction guys, or at least seven. Yeah. But one in five games of Baratheons shows you that they are very popular. But I mean, again, that consistency of uh, 18, 18, 18, 20, 18 just shows you that like Baratheons get played no matter what, like month to month. Like we always see the same stuff. Yeah. But again, I find it so interesting that that is a step up. From 15 point something in 20, 21, when they just weren't as good, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and maybe three, I, I'm, I'm talking a dead horse here, but I think that people really believe that they don't care about how powerful a faction is when they they do. Like people do. Like they 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 play a faction because they believe it's powerful. I, I would probably say that some people don't, but I would say that 20 to 30 percent of the player base at least definitely do. Um, at least, and that's a minimum estimate. There's probably a lot more that do. Um, but yeah, I mean, Night's Watch we see as an uptick uh, pick rate as well. Um, and, you know, uh, as is what seems to be very common, what happens when you increase the play rate of something? It typically drops in uh, win rate. Uh, it's basically true of everyone, right? And you lower the play rate of something, uh, and it increases the win rate uh, except here where we've got an increased pick rate and an increased win rate with free folk which does indicate easy faction easy, easy faction. pick up easy yeah. well I'd, I'd actually argue more than that just good easy dubs. not not easy just good um it probably is the best i always argue game. that it means the same thing fair enough I, I i i prefer using good rather than easy but yeah easy is good, good easy is, is easy. good yeah um yeah, I think um, that clearly Free Folk are the best faction right now. Um, uh, there were a few questions. Uh, yeah, Nathan, so um, on the win rate as well as the pick rate, um, it's classified. Um, if, if a unit appears twice in a game, it counts as two wins or two losses to its own stats. So it's not just a was I there and did I win the game. If, if you spam something five times over and it wins, then that is five counts of it winning and five counts of it losing. You can do whatever you want with that information. Uh, that is to say, like, I don't have a hugely strong opinion. It was actually just, uh, in a lot of ways, it's easier to code that way. It just goes through, and it doesn't, like, have some kind of thing where it's like, does this exist? Can I do it? Just, every time it sees it, it just adds, adds one on. Um. And Matthew, yeah, I mean, like, it is it is an interesting question, which I don't think we'll ever have the answer to, which is what what reporting to a Song of Ice and Fire stats represents um, in terms of, like, dual play rate to the community. Um, I believe that there's probably a double compounding uh, uh, kind of effect, which is that I believe that when new stuff comes out, um, I think that there is an all-time high of interest and also an all-time high all-time high in interest in the game, all-time high interest in playing and a play rate, and an all-time high interest in reporting to the site. That people are very interested and excited to help generate our first opinions of things. And then, even though they may continue to play throughout the edition, their interest in kind of submitting starts to wane a little and they 
possibly stop submitting their games, even though they continue to play them, because as far as they're concerned, consensus has been reached, and like the site has done maybe what they want it to do, which is it's come to some rough consensus as to what's powerful and what's not powerful. Mm-hmm. May- that is assuming that's what they use the site for, why they submit, why they participate. That is just a theory in my own head. So I believe that it that the site probably exacerbates any kind of um, long-term kind of stagnation of the game because stagnation of the game can mean stagnation of like of of submission bias, right? Like or an increase in submission bias towards people not caring to submit because they believe it's stagnant. So why why submit? When they believe that the game is in flux, that's when they believe that stats is of most value because it will help them ascertain what is powerful and what's not powerful. It'll help them understand the game better when they don't know know enough about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my theories. Uh, that's my opinion. I do believe that there is an element of reality of the amount of submissions. And we do go a decent way to remove reporting bias in some capacities simply because of the way games are effectively submitted by con- contract between two players before the game even begins. A huge amount of reporting bias. We would really, really be talking about reporting bias if a person could just submit a game without their opponent ever verifying. If a person submitted games after games were played, then we would obviously be well, really concerned with reporting bias of loads of people who just submit their wins and don't submit their losses. But because of the way that we um, hopefully create this, or at least the way I want it to be used, the way I want people to perceive it, is, is that we create this social contract that this is a game that is reported no matter co- what comes out of the game. Um, whether I win, lose, resign, good game, weird dice, whatever, we're not going to discount anything that happens. It's like, oh, it was really fluky, so we won't submit, or this, we played the rules wrong, so we won't submit. Like, effectively, like, we've made this contract that we will try and play the game to the best of our ability when we send each other a challenge, and therefore we carry on regardless, and any, like, small amounts of problems that might have come up don't invalidate like the whole sway the results in my opinion like they all they all kind of fall out in the wash as i've already said today but um yeah that that's my opinion and that would hugely get around large amounts of issues around reporting bias there would still be reporting bias around the people who choose to use the site at all which is probably you know a subset you know a certain Venn diagram of the players of the of the game, you know, probably leaning towards competitive, probably leaning towards community and tech aware people rather than people who play in very isolated manner or in like just on the tabletop of their kitchen table, for example. Mm-hmm. Those people are less likely to be on the Facebook group, less likely to be watching YouTube channels about it, less likely to be looking for a website, which Git provides information about the game, and so we're far less likely to see those submissions. Mm-hmm. We have uh, just uh, as a as an update for those who's watching, uh, we have seen an uptick in the number of Mother Dragons games played, back to what we saw in the February and March. You know, return to. Uh... I mean, that's not even that's not even statistical significance. That's... No, it's not. But what is interesting is that 
the win rate at 13 games this month at about 40 percent is probably what more people would have liked to have seen and thought ah that makes more sense it is actually a statistical anomaly uh, of all the months that it's that low um we still need more mother dragon games to really deem anything from it so uh hey it got some more play though you know oh this was a requested feature i forgot that i even changed it yeah it used to show five games and now it shows 50 yeah there you go that graph now is less stupid so I, still <laughs> I was gonna say it. it's it was, still not perfect it was fucking stupid at five games it was like great i've seen yeah, a grand yeah, yeah, yeah. change of like five yellow great stuff <laughs> and now and now you and now you get back 50 results yeah um you know i kept an eye on like kind of like the site site usage and the api usage and hey, i thought i thought we could stretch the boat out uh we got a few new patreons and uh and and and, and, and we upped that little number to 50 uh, <laughs> just a factor of 10 just straight in there yeah uh yeah five five was I'm not going to say it was, it was useless. Low. It was. It, I needed. I needed to see what effect yeah, it had yeah. on the API usage more than more than I needed. I needed it to be that low. It was a bit useless though. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, so there you go, 50, 50 submissions. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else uh, that we wanted to look at? Oh yeah, Drogo. Interesting thing, Drogo. It's the first time that Drogo's dropped. Uh, significantly since 2021 uh, in terms of his pick rate, which is interesting. People actually finally moving away from Drogo a little bit. Um, he's only half of lists now, <laughs> which is still ridiculous. Um, but yeah, uh, it's good to see Drogo drop. I do think we want to see more experimentation with Targs on the other commanders, because I'm not saying that they can be competitive, but we haven't seen them, um, and that's a bad thing. Um, you know, same with Mance going down. That's a good thing. If something's really good, we don't need to hammer home about how good it is. Play some more stuff. Um, Watch you, King. Again, uh, faction pick rate has dropped. Win rate's also dropped. There's a popular one out there. Uh, Watch you, King, obviously, the male combo. Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about Kevin. Um, and... The question that uh, wanted to be asked or people wanted to ask, and then they kind of said, oh, we'll wait till the stats come out to see what happens. But essentially something that people wanted to investigate or want to know the answer to. Lannisters have recovered from being dog shit tier to now being, I'm going to firmly call them middle of the pack. Right? Mid tier. Strong mid. They are not one of the top four. Night's Watch actually suffering a lot recently uh i think a lot of people trying the likes of cotter pike and the non the off meta style night's watch stuff that we're seeing awful as well um but ultimately like lanster is still not overtaking and coming into those top four um they're not Greyjoy and stark though there is a marked difference between them now whereas they uh, were how, truly how awful. their highest commander and who is the highest commander I'm 90% sure it's Tyrion is their highest commander at the moment. Could even be Roos, maybe. No, oh, it's Tyrion. I mean... Tyrion, Roos. But then, it's Adam and Kevin. Adam and Kevin on their way up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it's a question of whether or not Kevin... I mean, Ad Adam. Adam's going a bit under the radar. I'm seeing a lot of Kevin get played. I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of Adam get played. Like, I, 
he's he's not being played I, much. I, I definitely see value in him. Like he has great abilities, but his pick rate is not that high. You know, like no. Evans was just like twenty something percent, right? Yeah. Adams still at nine percent, nine point nine, ten percent. Call it for the last month, but you know his win rate is solid at that percentage. Do you want to see something absolutely degenerate? Let's see. This is an Adam Marbrand list, yeah? This is Bloodroom versus mm-hmm. Swavek, actually, which is why. And I know this result. Are you ready? It's Adam in Warrior Sons. It's a champion faith of Warrior Sons. It's a champion of the faith of Warrior Sons. And it's Gregor Clegane with Tyrion Pycelle. That was triple NCU, seven activation. Yeah. Three Warrior you know Sons. <laughs> you know what? It's probably it's, not shite. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard skew. It is a hard um, skew, 100%. It's a hard skew, and that will have a place. Um, oh, wow, is that... That's a... I mean... <laughs> it's a four NCU two dragons. Against four, against four NCU double dragon. What <laughs> the fuck? Slavic, <laughs> mate. Like, I mean, you got to stop smoking whatever you're smoking. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I already had... I already had that kind of... Yeah, I mean, like I already thought that way about you, mate. But whatever you're smoking, you give it, give it, give it, give it a rest. Yeah. Give it a rest for a couple of days because no. that's too far off, beast. Um, come on, just turn one of them into Jorah, surely. I mean, Pete, Peter's just, you know, Peter's just turned up to say like he thinks that Drogo is much worse when you when you work out how to kill Jorah. Yes, but you still got to go out and kill Jorah, right? Like, yeah. Why is why is this list not got Jorah in instead of the fourth NCU? <laughs> um, um, but yeah, Lannisters. I, I think I think that they are having a resurgence off the back of Kevin. I've found him quite tough to play into. I think I think that uh, predictable maneuvers is an exceptional card. Predictable uh, so, maneuvers is particularly an exceptional card into into people playing a higher activation count than you um, because. He, there will be a single maneuver that they want to do at the end of the round. They will possibly even engage you and then go to do another thing after it because they have these two actions after you. So they engage you with the first one and then they have this one last thing where they're going to follow up and you're like, oh, predictable, you do that, then I'm going to get an attack with the thing you just engaged with. Or Kevin Crossbows mean that predictable maneuvers always has a unit which can make a powerful, influential attack off the back of it. Yes. And that is something that Mance doesn't necessarily have with his predictable maneuvers. He does not have a unit where when when you activate out of absolutely nowhere, all you are is within crossbow range, but you, know, you don't even have long range in Free Folk. There's not a unit that just says, oh, if you do your last thing this round, I'm just going to absolutely batter you with a powerful six-dice sundering attack. And I think that that's very significant into making that card even better in, um, in, in, in Lannisters than it is in Mance, where I also believe it's a powerful card, though dwarfed by the fact that there are, you know, wildling diplomacy and, and um, whatever his other one is, long plan. You mean also... Endless Horde copy too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... And double my chances of having Endless Horde card. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that card alone is enough to play Kevin, uh, plus the fact that he has Lannister Supremacy, brilliant ability, in that, as long as it doesn't come with Tywin's shit cards. Yeah. 
throw in Wealth of the Rock. Which is decent. An amazing card. And I forget what his Seeds, other one is. Seeds Flaws, which is the Alistair card. Seeds Flaws, you know what? Is like, is two, is two, two free tokens, you know? Like, and there's nothing your opponent can do about it. It's not just that as well. The Kevin ability to remove abilities when Kevin is attacking the unit. It's deceptively mm. good against defensive units um, because it means they go, ha I've got all these Kevin defenses. And Kevin just goes, and? I don't care. I don't care if you've got this thing where you heal because I'm just attacking you and you don't get that because yeah, I switched them off. Um, but yeah, um, the uh, the thing with predictable maneuvers, I was having this conversation the other day, predictable maneuvers back in 2021 wasn't as strong. Obviously, it was the same card. Um, but actually, the big thing with 2021 is that you know there were no forced actions ever. So, yes, you could buy time, and it was good at buying a time, like a tempo play and things like this. But, you know, back in the days of Othel, Othel Crossbowman as well, Othel could kind of say, well, I'll just activate through it anyway. Fuck it. What are you going to do? Um, mm -hmm. And even against, like, if Lannisters had a predictable back then, it would have been, like, poor fellows or warrior sons maybe moving out of crossbow range, which is probably the best they could have done. None of that is actually, like, viable or... It's not game-winning, necessarily. There will be scenarios where it is, but the vast majority of the time it won't be. Because if it's game-winning, then the Night's Watch player just doesn't do the action. There you go, done. Um, the... The, the, other, the, other, the other very interesting interaction with it, having not heavily played a Relentless faction for a long time, is, God, it fucks Relentless so hard. Because part of turn, I declare Relentless, which says that I have to take an action. No, because you, you're wrong. You're wrong, because I know what you're about to say. Relentless. You not respond with predictable, and then... Yeah, yeah I, I respond, I... and then you resolve relentless, and then I resolve predictable. Yes, but... You don't I target until resolution. Yes, but I can't choose not to take an action with relentless, I'm pretty sure. Correct. You're active player with relentless. So you resolve relentless, and then I say, right, I'll target that unit and the NCU... That is after you've done your free maneuver or retreat or whatever. Because the card doesn't resolve until after Relentless has already resolved. So you've already done the action. You and there's no backtracking. No, that's um, what I'm aware. It actually has zero effect on, Relent on Relentless. Yes, it literally, Relentless completely counterplays any of those type of start of round cards. You know what I know that? Today I like... Like, can't, relentless, nice to know. relentless nice to completely know. Yeah. counters yeah, yeah, yeah. coordination when, when, tactics. When you think about the, when you think about the simultaneous ones. action in that way, yeah. yes. Yeah. Any any start of turn triggers are completely outplayed by relentless. Um, yeah, of course. What I've yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah when you think about it like that. Whereas what I thought would happen was you declare I declare you declare and now I can't undeclare that I'm taking an action and mm -hmm. therefore I'm forced to take an action and we'd simultaneously resolve, which obviously then says before you yours acting out before I resolve, but no, yeah, you're right. I think I got fucked by that, but uh, <laughs> it won't ever happen again. <laughs> Get wrecked! <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, you, uh, you, either, you either are incredibly, theoretically, you're either incredibly theoretically up on the game, or you're the person being screwed by it, and then you're like, I'll never be screwed by that again. Is roughly the two ways that you can learn how 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 not to get fucked in this game, in my opinion. 
The funny, the funniest shit, as you'll probably be aware, Carlo. Although I guess less for you, slightly, um, simply because you play less events and you play less people, because you know you're running events typically, or other things. You know, you're not not playing as many people online, maybe. Um, but uh, one of the things you go away and learn is you go away and learn how the fuck does your card deck interact with quite literally everything else in the game <laughs> uh true which, true uh, i mean yeah. i feel like i i have known that in the past for certain factions but by the time i'm on to my fifth faction yeah, exactly. uh, you, you, I, you stop. I, I don't No, i stop trying to dedicate to learn every single interaction it's going to have before i ever play it and no. i'm just like well we'll learn by playing exactly um but yeah the uh, the interesting thing, so the predictable discussion that I was going to talk about is the the obviously, I mean the fucking stupid change to the rules in that meaning you can't pass in combat, just yeah, made predictable there, better. There is, there is there is that which like, that's which... just fucking stupid. I hate that. I honestly think predictable is the best card in the game, even outside Endless Horde, because there is actually zero counterplay, and and you have to make a decision. It's different if your opponent does something and you'll just respond to it or whatever. But, like, you actually can't counterplay predictable maneuvers if you've only got one unit that's engaged. You you have a choice, and it's an illusion of choice. And it's so frustrating. Um, because you know it's just as bad what? when you get taunted. Yeah, Mickey well, knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you get taunted. It... <laughs> Fucking meme taunt. <laughs> What a piece of shit ability. Um, yeah, you know. I, I you always... know what? For all the chat that taunts still a meme, I've been absolutely fucked by it recently. I think <laughs> twice. Like, the two last times I played against taunt, I just got absolutely fucking hammered by it. Because, again, I put it into that category of, like, so didn't care about it, I just forgot it existed. And then as soon as you forget it existed, and it is costed around the fact that you ignore it, and if you ignore it, it is a very powerful ability. Yeah. If you think about what's going to happen, then you just you can avoid it at all times, practically. There's very little your opponent can do to force you to walk into taunt. Um, but yeah, as soon as you forget that it happens, you're just like, God damn it. <laughs> do you know what's really funny? When you taunt a unit like Greyjoy Bowman, Carlo, into your unit and they kill you. <laughs> and you go, Shit. Yeah, I was actually thinking that, that, that I believe you played predictable, I activated, I activated, you played predictable, I was like, I pass, you say, no you can't, I'm taunting you, <laughs> I charge you, your, your predictable goes fucking nothing, I, I, I made an attack. and my charge kills you. I made an attack that. and didn't do a wound to like better, to silence men or something, because I missed, and then you killed my my pens in response and i was like yeah. well the odds of that happening were un i still think i made a good play but fuck me that was terrible i <laughs> um, still remember that as me getting fucked yeah 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 <laughs> this is the funny thing you you literally like no you didn't win the game off that play but it definitely helped you win the game and yet it felt bad um yeah so, so yeah. i got fucked because 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 i had no choices you know yeah. like it was just you just waited for my last activation, which I couldn't do anything about, and then there we go. Yeah. The the, the illusion of choice. Anyway. Yeah. But um, the uh, other the other side of predictable, where like the, the the buying of tempo, like 
is saying I can't do an action with this. While it is good, and it does have a place very much so, that has counterplay that I think when we see predictable used a lot more. When I say a lot more, with it only existing in one place in the game, it simply isn't seen in that higher proportion of games. Yes, people yeah. think about it, but you know, nobody talked about predictable maneuvers really in conversations last year with what you would face. Now that doesn't mean it wasn't good, but the simple fact of the matter is it wasn't the thing to talk about, Othel Crossbows being much more interesting. And from Mance, people were much more concerned about wildling diplomacy. You know, Inter interesting is a debatable term, but okay, well, yes, there were, there were more pressing matters. Yes, they're more pressing matters. Whereas now, predictable obviously has a very, like, as I said, terrible interaction with engaged units that's just bad for the game, in my opinion. Um, but it's also appearing under more than one commander, so you're seeing mm. it. The populace is seeing it more and played in yeah. more different scenarios. And as a result, I do think that people are now seeing what it could have done yeah. previously. The difference was is that you didn't see it that often. Um, yeah, I do, I do think that people may even need to consider start doing things like not saving their engaged activation until last. Yes. You know, because because that is that is a very common thing. Your opponent has activated. It's just me left to go. And now I'm going to engage a unit. Now I'm going to make that attack. I've been saving that attack till later because I know it's a safe attack. I know it's a thing that I can do last without any interaction happening. But that's no longer considered safe if it's predictable you know if, if it's obviously the last thing you're going to do then i'm just going to wait and use predictable um on the very last activation because you've allowed me to do so and you can't do anything else because you're engaged whereas if you at least have two options do them the opposite way around second to last turn activate you know when they haven't played predictable maneuvers you activate that activated unit and then your last activation is with something that can pass it's in a position that it can pass because you have to consider that your last action is not safe against anybody that has predictable yeah yeah and it's funny because ironically playing the mance mirror which i've done now a couple of times against jacob and things me and jacob talk about this quite a lot when you play that mance mirror it's actually something that forces your kind of like set of plays to be very strange towards the end of a round and you're uh you kind of end up doing things in a wonky order, which looks really strange, but in a Mance mirror makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, on kind of like the topic, um, should we go over to events now? Because we talked a lot about everything, and we haven't talked about events yet. Um, a, new event, a, a new challenger has emerged. I believe um, Locabri has just put up a brand new tournament. He has, hasn't um, he? Off of the back of the discussion about wanting to people people claiming to be interested in a clock-based TTS event, uh, Locabri's uh, jumped on that one and uh, thrown it up. Uh, there is a link. There you go. Time has come for a limited time only. Ha 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 A clock-based <laughs> event run by uh, Locabri. Um, using the same suggestions that we talked about before. Um, yeah. You use the site different clock rules. You sound wildly discussed. enthusiastic. No, I'm, just, I'm, re I'm reading it. All right, I'm reading it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a tournament and people can play. Cool. <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> uh, no, it's... Uh... So it's not switched for those kind of things. He's saying it's switched over in case of those types of things between rounds. So he's got between rounds while counting VPs and resetting the clock is paused. I'm fine with that on TTS. Like, I don't think that's an issue if they want to pause the clock in cleanup. Um, it is something we didn't discuss earlier, but actually you were talking about how you give it to the opponent whose first turn it is in the next round to promote. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't quite uh, didn't quite elaborate on it. That is something that we changed. Um, first time I played Teddy, uh, we paused between the rounds uh, with the idea that if one person is finished and the other person hasn't finished because they're thinking about whether or not to discard cards or something like that, then they'll click the time back over to their opponent and just say, "Come on, then, like you know, make a decision." Um, Teddy came up with the idea of a game, just simplifying it, like always be as simple as possible is the concept. And the concept was whoever's first in the next round will change 50% of the time. And so you do the cleanup phase in their turn. Because again, the idea of this is to make sure that both players get at least 45, at least 45 minutes of playing time or like fair time, equal time in a one hour 45 tournament game. Now, if we're limited to that actual one hour 45, then um, we don't want any additional dead time because that means that somebody may play for, we may have 10 minutes of shared dead time in the, if we pause in between rounds, it might be the upper end, but you know, it could, could realistically happen. And then we could have one person playing for one hour and that leaves with another person playing for 35 minutes. Um, which again comes back onto this bordering like two to one time preference, which is unacceptable. Um, so you know, like it was it was proposed, and I and I and I agreed and tried that. It just doesn't seem to be a, ma a matter of a problem. Um, but I will, you know, I will add on to that. I've played five games on under the clock, and we have not yet got to the point where somebody's like desperately just like i do this 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 click you right because we've not come under under less than like 15 minutes left to play yeah. um interestingly one of those games did go to like the fifth round um and it was and it was with high activations this was like a nine activation versus eight activation list both players playing high activations both playing a very aggressive technical list uh, and it went all the way so um you know do on do do as you do, do, do as you choose. I'm just saying, um, you know, like uh, th these are all the things that like there are many, many opinions on the way they can be done. And I think the community just kind of needs to come to a consensus and whatever kind of like gets agreed upon will actually work out fine. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on that note, obviously, um, you know, uh, on TTS. Yes, you want the the playing time to be one hour each or whatever, roughly speaking. But on TTS, the beauty is like between rounds, we're not limited by time in the same way. Like it is an event, um, and you know yeah. what? On TTS, it, I know it's slightly different, but even just something simple like sometimes players want to just quickly grab a drink between rounds, that does actually happen fair amount. Um, you're in the comfort of your own home ultimately. And, you know, you're not out there. So something simple like um, you might bring a water bottle to an event 
and you'll fill the water bar between games. But there could be a chance we've only got a small glass and it's like, you know, I've smashed that back, right, I'll just quickly refill it. Um, and you might want to between rounds to do that or a quick loo break, whatever people decide. On TTS, that's less of an issue um, because you're not hindered by round times. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's going to be good. I, I look forward to seeing what happens Brand there. New tournament. When does it start? Uh, this week? Sunday the 12th. Got this weekend to sign up. Yeah, seven, six days. Six days to sign up. Impressively, impressively starts uh, starts this Sunday, and he's given it till the tenth of uh, July. So that is one full, two full, three full, four full weeks potentially, if people need it. Um, cool, awesome. Um, so other events that have run, uh, I just want to give us a, a quick shout out to him, um, Peter, Peter Shikavet, uh, Chev, Jesus butchered that nearly uh Eichold, he uh he won an event in uh, in poland uh with his targaryens um which for those of you who haven't been following along he never won an event he never beat blood raven he never beat masara he never yeah, beat you Swarbeck. yeah you had to give up on lannisters in the end right i mean he yeah. has tried a few different factions but uh yeah i mean well done, well done peter yeah well done well done well done i'm glad i'm glad you got a win <laughs> Uh, we also saw uh, Stee, um, Psycho Stee, uh, win War of the White Cloaks, uh, White Rose Cloaks. Now, I will put a little caveat on that, and this is not to say that Steve doesn't do very well. Three wins with neutrals, again, on the bounce. Very impressive. But there were four undefeated players at the event. Unfortunately, they didn't have enough time to play all the required rounds of the player numbers they had. Um, but actually, so congratulations to Stee, Phil, Tom, and Sean for all going undefeated. Um if we're talking about like secondary points or universe uh, unit destroyed points being the only separator without them having to play games against each other, then realistically that can come down to so many things like match up an opponent and things like that. So, you know, well done to the four players. there, all going undefeated on that day. And also a small shout out to, uh, to Nova who from our club, Carlo, Amy, mm-hmm. who went one and two. But the reason this is important, that's our first game, uh, first first pickup of win. First win. First win. Well done, Amy. Um, who, you know, she she loves playing the game. She plays it a lot. Um, you know, and she's she's getting there with nice watch. I mean, running, running John next. <laughs> second place for Phil's a big result as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, Phil's a, a new a new regular at our club and uh, a sufferer a sufferer of uh, Mickey and myself. <laughs> yeah um so uh congratulations to those guys there um steve's really working his way up the rankings with his um with his uh neutrals though uh yeah. i think he's the second best uk player now he's in the top yeah he's taken over jacob um taken over you a long time ago carlo Shit, man. I mean, I dropped out of the top eight as soon as I started playing Greyjoys, basically. <laughs> um, uh, I'm calling Steve out. Steve, mate, you need to go play some real players. <laughs> <laughs> Get yourself to a real big boy tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it's really good. Uh, really good to see they're still doing really, really well with those neutrals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that it's really, I mean, he actually, I believe he got some flack because he took like triple flayed men or did. something like that right? he did like, take a triple flayed uh, 
but personally, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Leeds event being a lot more beginner-friendly, um, a lot more um, kind of growing of the community. It was never expected to be 30, 30 players. It's really good that they managed to get them. I mean, there's a whole discussion going on about, like, whether or not we should be looking at more two-day events, whether or not people, 30 people would turn up for it if it was a two-day event, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that he's come at it with the perfect mindset, which is that if you go to an event which is hosted in such a way to be much more beginner-friendly, to take on the challenge of playing a bad faction and a faction that you're not used to is um, absolutely the way that you should look at uh, a less competitive event like mm -hmm. that. Um, and he's shown that it's absolutely possible to prove that a bad faction can be played really, really well. Um, so big props to him. Going, uh, showing that he's really got the good, got the goods. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, oh, well done, well done there to all the players involved, of course, and you know, congratulations to the lead scene as well. I'm really glad that they got a lot of players, and I'm really glad, and hopefully, uh, that lead scene and the lead store there will grow even more, and it's again more players to the UK scene, and I hope that's true of not just the UK, um, but other events around the world as well. Saw that New Zealand, had, you know, we talked about last week their first event. Uh, popped up which was great to see saw their first event run and it looked like they had a good time um so yeah well done there i just say well done to everyone who's played uh, events as of late and just been getting people into the hobby and the communities which is the most important thing after all um so next week this week coming up we have quite a few little treats we've got a spain event valencia um which i think is one of the startings of one of the new kind of like almost league events that they're running in Valencia. Um, they're like running a series of events, like a series of tournaments. Uh, and it's one of those. So brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got the battle of the bar stewards happening in Daventry. I believe this is the second battle of the bar stewards. I feel like there was one before, uh, but another Daventry event, um, which I actually looked at trying to get to Daventry pain in the fucking ass public transport. Uh, so I won't be going, but, um, but I really hope that people do attend, uh, if you're down that end of the country. Uh, we've got Chelmsford Bunker having their clash of members happening again. It's like becoming a regular event, their monthly kind of event. Uh, so that's great. We have um, the regional event for Mythicos, uh, their second store um, at Moorhaw is having an event. <laughs> that's not how you pronounce it, is it? How do you pronounce it? You know no, I, was waiting, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. As soon as I saw it, it's Mawa. Mawa. Oh, God, of course it is. I just can't read. Um, Mawa. New Jersey. Mawa. Mawa. That's more appropriate, right? Mawa. Mawa. Uh, uh, in New Jersey. Um, so, yeah, go check that one out if you're in the area. I believe that's going ahead and... Hopefully, it's going to be quite a few people attending. Uh, Chaos's Ladder at Gigabyte's... Um, Tabletop uh, happening in GA. It's Georgia. Um, so, yeah. I uh, hope that goes well. Um, you've got another one happening in Roseville in Minnesota, MN. Um, so, I think it's Minnesota. Not Maine, is it? No, Maine's MA. No, it's Massachusetts. I don't fucking clue. I never learned the US states. This one, this one takes three days. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to assume that the end date, end date isn't quite right on that. But... Uh... <laughs> possible Maybe. Well, and the kansas city region yeah and kansas and it gets more north uh, north california is that is that five qualifiers That's running north, north cal kansas uh roseville 
Georgia and more war. Um, more war. <laughs> so more five. Dakar. More Dakar. More Dakar. More Dakar from New Jersey. <laughs> um, so yeah, five five different regional events happening just this week. Uh, more That's interesting because I, I, I didn't even think that they would. Uh, I, I believed that there was a time where. I mean, they are pretty spread around the country, but where like dates had to be verified by bringing the conversation full circle back to where it originally started. You know, like mm-hmm. see organized play would have to validate a date, and they'd have, they'd check against other people that were running qualifiers on the same date. Surprising that um, that effectively they allowed five to be running on the same weekend. Yeah. Um, but I assume they're pretty far apart, and there's no real no real covering no no uh, no similarity in the player base in them or really anybody would expect to travel to more more than one of them mm-hmm. but uh yeah it'll be interesting you know <laughs> weasel weasel jokes that 72 will qualify in 18 or show up i mean it's a real real risk with more more uncertainty around the event in general mm-hmm. way back when you know like um i think it was, was a one uh what so a regular popped in to say um that we should take a look in the sunday sort of discord there is a discussion you know robert Ferguson himself has turned up in uh the sunday slot of discord so like you know i'm sure practically everybody at least who's live is in the sunday slot of discord you know like go and have a look at what's going on maybe ask some questions if you can of him uh, see if you can get any kind of answers i was going um, to be interested to know I was going to just do a short thing at the end of the video, just saying what he'd said there for those of you who don't, who aren't there or those listeners on podcast or watching uh, recorded. Um, but we'll cover that in a minute in detail. Um, now we've got uh, four events, but they're not really four events. And I know, Carlo, you've actually been talking to the guys here at Middle Earth War Games mm-hmm. in Bangkok, Thailand. They're running like four groups for an event. Um, so they can play mini tournaments against each other, basically. Um, yep. And that's happening this weekend, which is great. And I think it's great uh, as much as it is, you know, time where we're taking time to explain to people or talk to people in the community. I think it's actually really great that he had questions. He approached us with questions about running his event, because if people have got questions, it's OK to ask and approach us and talk about how something should be run or queries with something. And sometimes it can yeah, be really simple things where it's just like, oh, by the way, this, and they can go, oh, I didn't know that. You know, that's... Don't expect an instant response, though. No. <laughs> no. I'm not very good at answering questions. If I if I immediately, if I read it and I haven't got an immediate answer for you, then I'll probably forget about it and not respond ever. So you yeah. need to poke me a few times. Yeah. I, if you keep asking, I will definitely answer. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is a way that you can run a multi-group event. You can also run it through a single tournament if you want, but then you will need to manually pair everybody so that they don't get paired against people from different groups. This is, in some ways, the simpler way to run it. Um, I know that they then want to go ahead from this into a knockout um, knockout format from the winners of each group. So then they'll have to form a fifth event, which has only the winners entered into. Uh, hopefully all of that, we'll see results from all of that, because that'd be really, really great. That'd be a great influx of new players. We haven't seen a lot of uh, results come out of Thailand uh, or any real significant um, kind of site interaction. Uh, so I'd be really, I really hope that that does come off, but it, it can be quite hard to run such an elaborate tournament. The site can cope with that tournament, but it, it's not, it's not the simple case use. 
I hope that they don't have any problems. You know, like I, 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 w I would always advise somebody to run a simpler tournament for their first one through the site. But hopefully, you know, it all works out, and hopefully, we end up with twenty odd new people from uh, from Thailand all entering their results and using the site because that'd be really, really good to see. Love to yeah. see uh, new communities come online and get more uh, worldwide uh, recognition from uh, from their playing. Definitely, more community and more players, more players interacting, more people in the community. You know, we can start pointing to places and going, "Oh yeah, by the way, there's this guy in this country." Uh, one of the few things that I really like. Um, seeing a new player and they go like oh I'm in, I'm in this location and I can be like hang on there's this guy I know from a community that's like in roughly that area so I'll point you in his direction because he might mm -hmm. be the person and he, and then all of a sudden like it, I, of all things the Canadian group seems to be the most common one where I do this or have done it uh, but Pete like point and there's an arm based in Ontario and it's like Oh yeah, that's like 100% like was where Groose is basically based and things like that. Now it turns out, you know, North America, they're still like an hour, an hour and a half away from each other. But um, but the point is, is that it's a community and it's stores and it's events happening at least near them. Yeah. That they know they can go to if they want to. Um. So yeah, we've also got uh, say the overclock event that's starting this weekend as well now. Sign up if you want to play with clocks online with Lockerbrie. I don't want to play with Lockerbrie. He smells. Um, we've also got some events happening in Russia on Monday, which kind of counts because by the time we do the show next Monday, they've already happened. So we should probably mention them now. Um, and the Polish are playing on Tuesday, but we won't go into that. That's next week. <laughs> uh, so that's what? One, two, if you count those two. Three, if you count that one. Four, we'll count that as one. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12 events happening between now and next Tony Ground, which is some great. great, 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 yeah, great. it's good. Um, so I really hope they all go ahead. I really hope that everyone enjoys them. I really hope they all have a great time and, you know, enjoy using the site, of course. But not just that, just enjoy playing the game. Um, and I really hope we see some interesting things, like, you know, uh, see if see if someone else wins the neutrals. Let's see if... Uh, if someone wins with who's utter god let's see if someone wins with tywin i don't think we've seen anyone win with tywin for a very fucking long time not not <laughs> since the last elo tournament uh not an event anyway yeah um so yeah let's see see that happen um and yeah uh as i said the last thing uh rob uh Fulkerson has actually been active on sunday slaughter um, he's posted a couple of things saying, talking about his experience a little bit. Uh, I won't read everything that he said, but um, he does reveal. He left on good terms. It was it was an amicable split. It's not just kind of like thrown out the door, good riddance. Uh, um, and he uh, the uh, the organised play department, as we knew it, had only been him since January February of last year. That's 2021. So he had been running it solo. Uh, and with him departing, he is kind of like waiting with bated breath just as much as anyone else is uh, regarding organized play and what is going to be happening there. Brief comments around um, uh, the fact that he did actually have the marketing and social teams at Simon working with him and he could talk to them and they were doing things with him. So the communication internally seemed pretty good. And um, uh, he was actually fairly comfortable with the way that Asmodee organized play was working in relation to Robert as well. Seems like uh, Asmodee, certainly the organized play department at Asmodee were not a problem for him to deal with, which is good to hear. Um, that's what you want. Um, uh, <laughs> he 
does actually then straight up um, say that their distribution is bad. He, he's aware of that, and he says the words, yeah, their distro is crap. Um, so he knows that Asmodee are an issue, and it seems like I would go as far as saying Simon internal staff are aware of the distribution issues, and it may be something that they cannot do anything about. We've had that conversation before with Michael and Fabio, like without actually having the conversation. But that does bring an element of um, realism, I think, to their understanding of the situation. And they just know they can't talk about it. They know they can't deal with it. So why bother even discussing it anymore? Um, that's good. Uh, but apart from that, um, and uh, <laughs> he, uh, apparently someone had misplaced a distribution sheet about two months ago, which is why a load of stuff suddenly was quite late in uh, Europe, because stuff was never sent out. Again, an Asmodee issue. Um, anyway, if you want to go catch up all that properly, do go into the Sunday Slot Discord. Um, if anyone's got any questions or anything, you know, feel free to ask here or ask any of the one of the players, interact with them. So, Carlo, your light's gone off. It's getting dark. Is there any last things you want to add to today's episode? I'm going to do a Mickey, which is I'm going to promise Mickey's going to do some work, uh, even though I can't make him do it, and he's never said he's going to do it. I've got a deal for you. We are at very close to a real milestone. We are 950 subscribers. When we get to 1,000, Mickey is actually going to finish the new intro. Oh, okay. So we don't normally beg and borrow and do all the do all the, the do all the shit YouTube stuff. But seriously, guys, if you watch this far, then please just subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> if we get to a thousand, it'll actually be uh, you know it, it's a, it could even be a significant change for the channel. I have no idea what actually happens, but things do happen on YouTube when you get to a thousand. <laughs> Real things happen as opposed to like 100, yay, or even 500, yay. But, you know, a thousand is a real milestone where they consider you uh, actually to be a real channel that they give a shit about. Uh, so um, if, if you could just uh, click subscribe, then we'll find out. We'll find out. And Mickey will finish that intro for you. Uh, we also have coming up the 100th episode of turning ground uh, that will be um not next week that'll yeah. be 97 uh then we've got three more I weeks after that we've been doing this shit in two years <laughs> i know right um and uh well at 100 yeah. episodes there will be a special announcement um and you'll probably all hate it and you'll probably go well that's not good it's not a good thing that you've said this um but we will do an announcement at 100 episodes uh and then we'll see what happens after that what, we'll see what 96. 96. 96 now, yeah. Get, yeah, I think I think I'll be here for 100, and then but it might practically, it'll practically be my US my US farewell show, and yeah. then I'll be away, and then I'll be away for like four weeks after that. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I think I think 100 will be uh, possibly quite a significant one. I might make 101. I can't. I can't, I can't what day do you leave? What day do you leave? Uh, I leave on the 16th. No, you're not making 101. <laughs> uh, right. So there you go. Um, One, two, three, four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might just make 101. 101 should be on the 11th. Okay, you might make 101. All okay. right. Um, I won't make it to two years. <laughs> Carlo taps out before two years. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but we are, um, you know, going to do some things for that as well. Um. So, yeah. Anyway, I hope you will have a good week. Uh, 
I hope that Carlo's lights and electricity actually managed to make it for him to achieve some stuff. And we will see you again next week. And best of luck to anyone playing and sign up for that Lockerbie event that he's got going. And the Welsh GT. Oh, Welsh GT. Yes, sign up for that. Or LGT. Sign up for that now, otherwise the tickets will be gone by tomorrow. You won't have a chance. Um, We need you. Right, anyway, we're going to (laughs) go. See you later, guys. Ready, aim, release!